Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joe Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Riv finally made his way to the show. This is now episode 73. In this episode, we will give our predictions for the all-star festivities like the dunk contest, the three-point contest, and the skill challenge. Talk about the firing of Lloyd Pierce, the Miami Heat, Nikola Jokic, Lonzo Ball, and give our mid-season pretenders or contenders for the football portion of this episode, we will talk about the 49ers, Kirk Cousins, who the Washington football team's next QB will be, and our offseason preview for the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions. Riv, you're finally back. It's been so long. It's been a while. I know everybody watching is probably wondering, where you been at? So where have you been at? <laughs> um, i just been, um, you know, I have other ventures and businesses I got to handle, so I just you know I've been on the been on the move and stuff been out the country, but I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, we know that that was the biggest lie in the world. <laughs> but we're gonna start off this show by giving a shout out to people who have written us a review on Apple Podcasts. So this is the latest review that we got. It's from K Will two 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 one. This is a great podcast. Is the title and. The description behind this is these guys have great insights into both NBA and NFL. They are an up-and-coming podcast, and I can almost guarantee they will blow up soon. Can't wait to say I knew them since the beginning, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I thought it kept going, but apparently that's how it finished, dot, dot, dot. It didn't <laughs> finish with nothing else. So we appreciate it, KWill221. So as always, you can review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and write us a review if you want to. We will read it on the show and post it on instagram and this is going to be a great show episode number 73 not too long we were at episode 70 oh, when was the last time ago. when was the last time the three of us were together 69 i want to say or 68 i'm not sure definitely Pause. not 69 uh, it, it feels like a it feels like it's been like a while yeah it's nice it's, to be back it is nice to be back, and we're going to start off this show. Damn, 73 is a lot of shows, man. Talking about the All-Star Game Weekend. The All-Star Weekend is coming up. We got the dunk contest, the three-point contest, and the skills challenge. So, for the skills challenge, these are the participants in that challenge. Robert Covington. I don't know why he is there, but he is there. Luka Doncic, Chris Paul. Julius Randle, DeMontis Sabonis, and Nikola Vucevic. For the three-point contest, it is Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Devin, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. And for the dunk contest, it's Anthony Simons, Cassius Stanley, and Obi Toppin. So let's start off with the skills challenge. Who is going to win the skills challenge? I'll name it again. Robert Covington. Luka Doncic, <laughs> Chris Paul, Julius Randle, DeMontis Sabonis, or Nikola Vucevic. You want me to start? Or yeah, because the Robinson coverage thing just threw me right. off. I'll start. I think the person I think that should win it is Luka. And I feel like... Over Chris Paul? I, I feel like Chris Paul is going to take it easy, you know, in his old age. He's got to play in the game as well. So I feel like he's going to, you know, take it easy. Luka, the young gun, I think he's going to come out firing, but... I have this very strange feeling, and over the past couple of years, we've been surprised by the big guys in the skills competition. I have a very strange feeling 
about Julius Randle. Oh. I think Julius Randle is going to pull out a dark horse victory in the skills challenge. That's interesting. Uh, I I was going to go with a guard this moment, but I, I think I'm going to rock with a big man, but I'm not picking Julius Randle. I don't think he's going to win it. I think Nikola Vucevic is going to win it. I think Nicole that's Vucevic. the guy. Yeah, I think that's the guy I'm going to rock with this one. I think he's going to just come out and get fancy on us and show us a little something, so that's what I'm going to pick. It's not even going to be a competition. The winner <laughs> of this contest is going to be Julius Randle. Oh, my God. He plays for New York. He's gotten slimmer over the <laughs> offseason. He's a great ball handler. He's an improved shooter. He's shooting 40% from three this year. And when we talk about the contest, right, you need to know how to pass. Mm. You need to know how to dribble around people, and you need to know how to get layups and shoot clutch baskets. That just that just screams out Julius Randle. You think so? Nikola Vucevic Vucevic is going to struggle in the passing aspect of this challenge. DeMontis Sabonis might do well. Robert Covington might struggle in every aspect. Uh, Luka Doncic, the shooting, I'm not sure if he's going to make it on his first try. It might take wait, him so a couple. Wait, wait, let me get this straight. You think Randall's going to make it on his first try over Luka? <laughs> Chris Paul, Jack made an amazing point that Chris Paul, he's he's not really into winning this challenge. He's an extremely competitive person, but I think he wants to take it easy. He's in the All-Star game. He knows that Julius Randle is an up-and-coming superstar. That's why he's going to let him win this contest and Julius Randle, when you talk about the best passer outside of Chris Paul and Luka, he's that. You talk about the best shooter percentage-wise outside of Chris Paul, he is that. So he's going to win a contest, no Ooh. doubt. He's going to put on for New York in the All-Star weekend in this contest. No <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> that, was, that was some high praise. I, I do think a big man is going to win it, though. I, I don't think Chris Paul is going to take it serious. Luka, he could probably still sneak it, but I think out of the big man, I think one of them is going to get it. I don't know about the Julius Randle on, but, you know, you're in Knicks Nation, so you're going, you got to ride for your guy, but I'm going to ride with Nicola for this one. So in the three-point contest, it's Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, mm. Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. First of all, Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown are in it? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, obviously, you know, my easy pick would be Steph Curry's going to win it, you know, but I think for this one I'm going to – like, Joel, I'm going to ride with the hometown favorite. I'm going to go with Zach. I think Zach's going to come out and take this one back to Chicago with us. For some reason, I just feel like in these competitions, it's never the obvious guy. So as much as I think Steph Curry should win it, just like I thought Luka should win the skills competition, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be Devin Booker. You think it's going to be I feel Devin like Booker? he feels spurned because he wasn't voted into the All-Star this game. Be, he's got something to prove this weekend. This would be two in a row for him. So I think he's going to come out firing <laughs> and really gunning for this three-point title. Okay, so first of all, it's not going to be Jalen Brown. <laughs> I think we all know it's not going to be yeah, Jalen yeah. Brown. It's not going to be Donovan It's Mitchell. not going to be David Jalen. I don't know. There's a possibility. I don't think it's going to be Donovan. I, I think, think he makes Tatum it to the second round. And Tatum and Brown are out for me. Ooh. So then we talk about Devin Booker, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, and Donovan Mitchell. Zach Levine is streaky. You don't know what you're going to get out of him sometimes. So because of that, I'm going to take Zach Levine out of this of this race. What? So between <laughs> Steph, Booker, and Mitchell. And Mitchell's I, not streaky? I, I'm, taking, I'm taking Booker out because Booker has been streaky from three this past season. It's between Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell in this contest, and Steph is going to win. <laughs> I mean, it is the obvious pick because it is super obvious that Steph is – like, there's no shooter even close to him in, when we're talking about this contest. Like, nobody is even close. Maybe if they had Joe Harris, 
this would have been a different competition. Former three-point champion. Most of, most of these guys are scorers that can shoot, but they aren't like snipers. They aren't dead-eye shooters. Because of that, I just, I don't know. This contest might be a blowout and Steph might just take it. This contest should have been Seth, Steph, Joe Harris, Duncan, Duncan, Robinson. Duncan Robinson. I know they invited Joe Harris, and I'm pretty sure he declined. Dame declined, I think, too, right? Yeah, but they sh- there should have been, like, you know, actually sharpshooters, like actual sharpshooters, not just all-stars that have a pretty good percentage from three. I will say, though, you got to cut them some slack. They were kind of throwing this together last minute, so it's tough with the you circumstances. Put on the show for the fans. I can't believe you just said Donovan's going to be in the top two and not Zach. That's ridiculous. Nah, he, Steph is going to win, though. Steph is going to win. Uh, he's not I, I was between Devin Booker and Zach Levine. I don't know why. I just feel like the – the names that you think should win almost never win. I mean, you talk about a streaky shooter. You know, if a streaky shooter gets hot, it's raps. Hey, that's true. So if Zach get hot, you know, it's it's going to be ball game. He's, he's, he got a chip on his shoulder, man. So the dunk contest persists of Anthony Simons, Cassius Stanley, and Obi Toppin. This is the worst dunk contest I've ever heard in my life. And it's pretty easy. Obi Toppin is going to take it. We're going to have two New York Knicks players win these contests, Julius Randle in the skills challenge and OB Toppin in the dunk contest. He hasn't been having a great rookie season, so he needs something for the fans to remember him by. And this <laughs> it's going to be this dunk contest. He's going to take that trophy home. Like He's been waiting for this moment. He's a high flyer. He played for the Dayton Flyers. Mm. That's how you know he knows how to jump, man. So he is going to win this contest, the dunk contest. Anthony Simons, like, I like him, but I don't know if he has – that type of bounce. Like, I don't know if he can pull out. Pull out. I don't know if he can do 360s. I think Obi can do 360s. And <laughs> Cassius Stanley, I think he's a sleeper pick. Cassius yeah, Stanley I, is, he he can he can jump. So, it's going to be between Obi and Cassius, but I'm going with the Dayton Flyer and the and the, four, and the, and the current New York Nick and Obi Toppin easy. I was going to go, like you said, sleeper pick. I was going to go with Cassius Stanley. I've seen him do 360s between the legs, East Bay's. Throughout his whole career, I think that's the guy who I was going to – I've seen him do more flashy dunks than Obi Toppin, so I think that was the guy I was going to pick. But this it's really hard to pick somebody because none of them has showed us anything to be in the dunk contest. But it will probably be down to Toppin and Stanley, and I'll go Stanley. I'm also going Stanley. I, I just – like Riff said, I've seen him throw down some ridiculous dunks. I feel like he's been preparing for this moment for a while, and I think he's going to come out on top. So, now, this is the last one we're going to talk about because we don't know the All-Star teams. We don't know Team LeBron or Team Giannis yet. So, because of that, we aren't going to team pick KD. our winner. Oh, Team KD. Because of that, we don't know who their team is going to be, but we do know the U.S. team and the world team. So, the U.S. team is LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton, Tyler Harrell, DeAndre Hunter, Keldon Johnson, Ja Morant, Michael Porter Jr., Zion Williamson, and James Wiseman. For the world team, it's it's um, Precious Achiuwa, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Denny Advia, R.J. Barrett, Facundo Campazzo, uh, oh Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Clark, Lugens Dort, Rui Hachimura, Teo Maladon, and Michael Mulder. Is if there anything it, to talk about? Listen, if they were playing this game, it would be a blowout. Blowout. Like, it wouldn't even be close. Listen, I'm going to let you know right now, it's going to be the world team. Because R.J. Barrett is on the team. Well, they're not playing it. 
They're not playing they this just, They just put out the rosters. Oh, they just put out the rosters? Yeah. Oh, wow. What a shame. Yeah, that's, yeah, that sucks. I RJ mean, Barrett would have won it, though. You, you, don't, you think so? <laughs> yeah. No, you honestly legit think he so. No, like you believe that. Yes, like that is in your heart, you believe that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if okay. they were playing, I know they're playing a, um, like a team of Quavo and who else is playing. Uh, I think the celebrity game. I didn't know they were playing a celebrity game. Quavo was in it. I think Coda 4K. The celebrity game has fallen off a little bit the past few years. Yes, I think Lil Dirk might be playing. No, he's nice. You get him in there. Yes, sir. I, uh, was, it him who, was it him where the video came out of him shooting around and KD commented on it? Yeah, he's better than Alpha Payton. He could play a little bit. Yeah, he's legit nice. He's a, he, he played at uh, high school and he played, you know, when he's young, but you know, the streets. I'm trying to find who it is. I know that it's definitely Quavo in it or one of the Migos. It's probably Quavo. It's probably Quavo. It's in Atlanta, right? It is. I think it's yeah. not it was in supposed to, It was supposed to be in Indianapolis, but then they moved it. I'm oh, pretty it's sure in Atlanta? to Atlanta. So that oh, would wow. make sense. But I know there are some celebrities in that in that game. But you know, those are our predictions. You know, Julius Randle will be top and will win for the Knicks in this. How uh, good would that be for the Knicks to bring those two awards home and possibly a playoff berth? That'd be pretty dope. You, you saw the uh, uh, the Knicks the other day after they beat the Pacers. No downtown. I know. I saw. Yeah, I saw the mad lit. Yeah, I saw the video. Next topic we're going to talk about is the Lloyd Pierce. He was recently fired, and I think his overall record with the Hawks was sixty-five and one twenty. He spent three seasons with the Hawks, more like two and a half. And yes, what do you think about this firing? How do you feel about it? And is this ultimately going to make the Atlanta Hawks a better team or worse team? Nate McMillan is currently the interim coach for that team. <laughs> Why you say that? I, I, you say? <laughs> I think it'll make them a, a better team in the regular season. Obviously, we saw Nate McMillan's track record in Indiana. He did a great job with those Pacers teams during the regular season. And, you know, the, the trademark was always falling short in the playoffs, and that resulted in his firing. Um I think that Lloyd Pierce had run his course. The players wanted him out. They all supposedly supported this move and wanted to see things with a new head coach. Um, I I think that it was the right move to make. I I don't think the Hawks have been healthy this season, so you know it might have just been unfortunate circumstances. But it's been three years now. He hasn't had any success, and there was talent even with injuries this year. There was talent. They should they should one hundred percent be doing better than they have been doing. I think the offense has been really stagnant. I know John Collins was very unhappy with it earlier in the season, so I'd like to see them with Nate McMillan and see what they can do. But I think that this was definitely the right move. Oh, <laughs> I thought you wanted to go. Um, I look at it fifty fifty. You know, the team hasn't been healthy. Only what four out of the? I'm looking at it right now. Trey Young, Kevin Herter, John Collins. And Solomon Hill have played 30 games. So their key guys have been missing games. But from what I read from the reports, it looking like Lloyd Pierce was favoritizing a lot of the players and a lot of the guys back Trey Young who didn't want him there. So it looked like he was really the main problem. But at the end of the day, I feel like it, it wasn't all on him. He just couldn't handle egos. You know, egos from young guys coming in, it's going to be hard to definitely assess them. So at the same time, you could look at it as his fault. But this team wasn't healthy, so you can't put the blame all on him because they haven't been on the court for most of the time. So I give him like 50-50 of blame. You guys ready for, for what I'm about to say? 
Probably going to say some nonsense. Okay. So, Lloyd Pierce was fired after three seasons, 65 and 120 record. His first year, they had a 35% win percentage. Second year, it dropped down to a 30% win percentage. And now this year, it was at a 44%, and he got let go. But like you mentioned, Trey Young and all the players, they didn't want him. And if your star player doesn't want the coach, he's probably going to get fired. You know, And because Lloyd Pierce is a black coach, this this caught a lot of, like, traction of did he unfairly get fired? Did he get fired unfairly? And the argument came about that this doesn't happen to white coaches and stuff. But, like, that's a lie. We saw earlier when Ryan Saunders got fired after a year and a half with, with Minnesota. And not only did Ryan Saunders get fired, but they hired his replacement in Chris Finch like 30 minutes after <laughs> he was hired. Literally, after he got fired, 30 minutes after. From a this, different organization, yes, too. The same night, he was hired as their new head coach. Ryan Saunders only had, when he was coaching the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell only played five games together in a span of like 80 games. What was the narrative behind that that firing? The narrative behind Ryan Saunders' firing wasn't that he didn't have much to work with. Instead, it was, why didn't David Vanderpool get the job? That was the uh, a, a coach that developed Dame and CJ and how much did he really develop and we don't really know, but, you know... That's the thing. And then we look at other coaches like Jim Boylan and stuff like that who didn't get much of an opportunity either, but that's because he was a bad coach, right? Yeah, he was horrible. And that's the thing is I think that especially when um, <clears throat> black coaches get hired because a lot of people want to see more diversity within the coaching between like coaches in the NBA, we kind of give them a lot of excuses when they don't succeed. Oh, if they get fired, it's because – the team wasn't get, wasn't going to give them much of a shot because they are a black coach or something like that. But the average lifespan for an NBA coach in 2014 was 2.4 years. And if the majority of the coaches were white or whatever race they are, I mean, yeah, you usually get three years to make an organization relevant. If you can't, then you get fired. Just last season, and then we had some coaches like Greg Popovich and Rick Carlisle called out the Hawks, I think, for firing Lloyd Pierce. And I'm here to tell everybody that that doesn't matter. Because last year when David Fisdale got fired from the Knicks, everybody clowned the Knicks. Everybody talked down on the Knicks. Oh, David Fisdale's finally getting away from that dysfunctional organization. A year later, we get a good coach in Tom Thibodeau. We're in the playoffs. So that's what I'm saying is that I don't think this has to do so much with race. I think this just has to do with that Lloyd Pierce to this point hasn't shown to be a good head coach. That's all I think it is. Yeah, and, and he's being replaced by another African-American head coach. Exactly. That, that's the thing, too. And, you know, Stephen A. Smith, I, I saw his first take take on this, and he was like, it's suspicious. And I'm like, why is it suspicious? And then you asked he, him? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, in my head I said it. But then Stephen he, A., come on the show. But then he talked about how Steve Nash um, is the only, like, white coaches get awarded opportunities to coach supreme talent usually, right? And then I got into researching, and it didn't take me long to find another example. Steve Nash got to coach Durant and Kyrie. Who was the coach that got to coach LeBron, Kyrie, and K-Love after they fired David Blatt like a year year and a half into his tenure? Tyron Lue. So, yes, there is an example of an African-American coach getting an opportunity to coach a very talented team. So you can find that same example. 
and and David Blatt was coming off a finals appearance. So yes, not with K Love and Kyrie injured so. in the finals, and he was let go after being thirty and eleven his second season. <laughs> so you know, that's so but that's the thing. Like if it was if it was an African American head coach, the narrative would have been completely different around it. But because it wasn't, we we don't look at it that way. And I'm not saying that the NBA doesn't need to be more diverse because it definitely does. But I'm also saying that we can't try to make every firing simply about that and simply look at that as the reason why. Because a lot of people were overreacting to this Lloyd Pierce firing that, oh, why did they fire him? I mean, if you guys actually watched Atlanta Hawks games, you'd know. Yeah, you would that, know. It's not like that. You would know. You would know. And now they're getting a new head coach. And do I think they'll be better? Because Nate McMillan is a proven head coach, I think they will for the time being. Who knows if he's going to stay there, if they are going to get a new head coach. But for the time being, I think they'll be better. But they have to get healthy. Danilo has missed games. Bogdan Bogdanovich is still injured. Cam Reddish has been hurt. DeAndre Hunter has missed half the year. So there are a lot of things going on with the Atlanta Hawks right now. Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. And I just think it's funny, like, the way they ran that offense – rubbed a bunch of the Hawks players the wrong way and, and got them upset with Lloyd Pierce. But then Lloyd Pierce complained about the way Trey Young was drawing fouls and it got Trey Young mad at Lloyd Pierce. So it was like nobody in the organization was happy with him. There's a lot that went on for this to happen. And when you go three seasons with a team, you don't re- your, your one improvement is a very small improvement after your team essentially went out and had their splash offseason trying to take the next step and you're not even a playoff team. You've run your course. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's hard to assess because it's like, okay, Pierce complained about Trey Young, right? But then John Collins complained about how the system was being run through Trey Young. We could all agree that John Collins is probably gone. He's probably not coming back. He's probably going to go. So Nate McMillan is a coach who coached for Indiana. Indiana is a place who doesn't have a lot of ego guys, who has a lot of guys who fits in the system, who just plays the game the right way. Atlanta is a is a situation where there's a lot of youth and a lot of young talent with potential and a lot of injuries. Are we? Can, is he going to be able to come in there and automatically change the culture like that and get these guys into winning basketball? I think that he probably will because this isn't – he did coach Indiana, but he also coached Portland with Brandon Roy, Aldridge, Odin, all of those guys. I mean, they were hurt for most of the time, but, you know, he does have a track record because I think he has experience – they're going to be a bit better. But ultimately, I really think it's just about them getting healthy, which you can make the argument that if Lloyd Pierce would have stayed, this team is a 500 team if they would have stayed healthy. But they're not healthy. And to this point, Danilo Gallinari, he has been in and out of lineups. And not only that, but he has struggled this season thus far. And that was their big splash offseason signing. And I said it before the season. Bogdan played 11 games. Yep. And I said it before the season. I didn't think the Atlanta Hawks were going to make the playoffs because the East has a bunch of teams that are have kind of just locked their spot in the playoffs already. We look at Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Philly, Indiana, Toronto. Like, that's seven. And, and Indiana's not even in their playoff race right now. So Atlanta was really going to be fighting for that eighth spot with the Knicks, the Hornets, or and the Bulls, all of those teams, and that I think that they were more talented than those teams. I didn't, which is why I never thought Atlanta was going to make the playoffs. But Atlanta is in a tricky situation because they had that big splash free agency 
because they saw Trey Young was ascending into a star player. So they wanted to rush and get him help. The Pelicans did the same thing with Anthony Davis when they went out and got Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, Drew Holiday. They wanted to win now, and it backfired on them. We're kind of seeing something similar happen to the Atlanta Hawks because not only did they sign players that I don't feel like were worthy of the money, Bogdanovich is a nice player, but for that money, I don't think he was worth it. Danilo, very injury-prone, an older, an older player as well. So a lot of their moves didn't really make much sense. Yeah, and they were oversigning guys in positions too, I thought. I, I think it would have made more sense to maybe hold on, hold on to the money and let it roll over. But the crazy thing is they're still only two games out of the five seed. So if Nate McMillan can come in and turn things around here, they could still very easily be a playoff team. But, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting to see if he can come in and change things because this Hawks team is very different than a bunch of those Pacers teams he had. But I think at the end of the day, he will turn them around. Will it be enough to make them a playoff team? I think they'll be one of those teams that we see in the play-in games. And I think they could be a playoff team, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to come in. And I think it would be wise for them to give him a chance to turn it around because right now they're in a stage where the playoffs should be a benchmark for them. Like, that should be a goal for them. And Nate McMillan was able to do that so often in Indiana. Like, get there first, and then you can reassess the situation. So I think it would be wise for them to give Nate McMillan a shot. Earlier on this segment, I said that the average coach in 2014 got 2.4 years until they were fired. Right now, it's 3.7 years. Mm, So four. So basically close to four. So three is kind of just under that. Yeah, and, and I mean, when you look at that number, there's a bunch of guys in the league that are skewing that. I mean, like, yeah, like Rick Popovich. Carlisle, Popovich. But those Stolstra. are the proven guys. Like yeah. Exactly. If we, look, if we look at the guys who have been coaching for the past five years most who of them just have a got ring. jobs, most of them are probably have been gone. Exactly. You know, so that's why is that number's kind of skewed. I'd say the average coach gets two, two to three years to prove themselves. If they don't make a considerable improvement, then they'll be gone. And... That's the thing. I mean, if Lloyd Pierce would have made the playoffs once in Atlanta, he would have still been head coach, something something to have. But because you don't make the playoffs, it's hard. Steve Clifford still has a job because he took Orlando to the playoffs like two two years in a row. They, they got basically swept. And they've been hurt too. <laughs> they got basically swept. But, you know, most coaches get two to three years to prove themselves. If they don't prove themselves in that point, they're pretty much gone. Yeah, and, and you got to understand it's a business. As a Net fan, I can speak towards Kenny Atkinson, did an absolutely incredible job with the Brooklyn Nets, helped turn them around from one of the worst teams in the league to a playoff team, helped bring in KD and Kyrie, and then before KD even got out there, he was gone. What did he do wrong? He didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong, but the fact of the matter was they were just turning a new page as an organization, and they needed a communicator, and Kenny Atkinson is more of you know, a developer. And so it didn't fit. Like, there is a lot that goes into these decisions. I and mean, I think it's very uh, short-sighted to say something like what Stephen A. said. This is the era of player empowerment. Mm-hmm. So if your star player does not want that head coach, he's not going to be the coach. And Steve Nash got hired by the Nets because KD and Kyrie wanted him. Yeah, people you know? people like to bring up the Jim Boylan situation. That was the same thing that happened. That happened. The team didn't want him. No, Lori didn't want him. Zach didn't want him. So you're going to always pick. The players you pay over the coach over t- all the time. Yeah, exactly. So now we're moving on to the next segment. We are going to talk about the Miami Heat. 
They have won six of their last seven games. They have beaten the Kings, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Raptors, the Jazz, and the Atlanta Hawks. So, I mean, they are finally getting on a roll. Can they replicate the success they had last season coming into these playoffs? Or how far do you and how far do you think they will finish in the standings this season? Well, <laughs> I love to troll the Heat every day when they lose. I'm not going to troll them today, though, because Jimmy and Bam are not playing. So I am not going to troll them today. I don't think they're going to replicate last year. I think last year was a is a great it was a great run, a great story. But I think just this year, with the big three in Brooklyn, with the newly revamped Bucks, even Miami. I don't. I'm not sorry, not Miami. Even Boston. I don't think Miami's as good as it was last year. I think this year we're losing those wings that we're able to defend one through four is going to be tough. I think they're a second-round team at best. I just think with Joel Embiid playing the way he's playing, Philly's going to be tough. The Bucks are going to be tough. The Nets, they aren't going to beat the Nets. Boston's going to be a tough series. So I have them as a second-round push. I think Jimmy Butler could definitely get them there. But with this team, I don't think this team is just good enough. I think Garan Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, good players, but they have a defensive deficiency where they put those guys out there and defensively they just can't keep up. And Jimmy Butler, he has to do so much for this team offensively and defensively. I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, I think when when you talk about replicating last year's success, I don't think there's any way they end up back in the finals this year just because, one, the Nets, which is going to be the benchmark for anybody trying to get to the finals, and then you also got the 76ers and the Bucks. The 76ers are majorly improved from last year, and, you know, knock on wood, they'll be going into the playoffs healthy, unlike last Don't year. Jinx it. And the Bucks, I mean, I think the Bucks improved with the addition of Drew Holiday. And although they have that game plan in place to stop a guy like Giannis, you know, shoot, a lot went wrong with the Bucks last season. And they added shooters this season. So it's a totally different team they got to deal with. Do I think. The Heat could pull off an upset of the Bucks. Yeah, I could see that. But even if they do that, then you got to get through Brooklyn to go to the finals. I can't see them pulling off two upsets like that in a row. And I, I that's why I don't see them having any chance of replicating last year. I think they could go on a run here and maybe pull off one upset, surprise some people, but I don't see them making a finals run. I agree. I don't think they will make the finals because Brooklyn is going to make it. No doubt about it. But... I think that when you talk about how far they can go, it really depends on the matchups. I mean, I don't even care about their record. They are 17 and 18 right now. That might yeah, change. Scratch the record. That might change if they lose to the Pelicans tonight, but they're pretty much they're going to make the playoffs. We talked about it before. The Miami Heat will make the playoffs, no doubt about it. Jimmy is healthy. Jimmy right now, I believe, is averaging 22-9-9 in the last seven games. During this win streak, he's shooting 33% from three which is a big improvement from where he was when he started the season. But it's about matches. When you look at the sixth seed, they're the sixth seed right now. Who would they play? They would play the Milwaukee Bucks. Can they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series? Absolutely they can. They have the personnel to do it. They have the players to do it. And I think Miami kind of has a mental edge on the Bucks right now. Just, just based off last season, I know they got Drew Holiday Bryn Forbes and Tory Craig, they brought in some new guys like Bobby Portis as well. But I just feel like Miami has a mental edge over the Bucks. But if you want to go the safer route, I think Miami has to get that fifth seed to possibly face the Knicks in the first round, which I think they can beat, or 
pretty much face the Raptors if they get them or the Celtics. I think they can beat the Celtics as well. But if we're talking about Philly, how Philly's playing right now, I don't think Miami can beat Philly. How Brooklyn is playing, nobody's going to beat Brooklyn. They cannot beat Brooklyn. So I think they can beat Miami. They can beat uh, Milwaukee, Boston, and everybody else. But outside of the top teams, they can't. You know, outside of the top teams, they can beat everybody in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. <laughs> I, and they're so well coached. Eric Spolster does such a great job. They have that veteran leadership. They have guys who have been there. So when it comes to the playoffs, they're going to be a different team, especially, like I said, knock on wood, if they can stay healthy come playoff time. But it's just those top teams. Like, I I don't they I don't I definitely don't think they had the firepower to compete with the Nets. The Sixers, it, it would be tough because again their personnel this season matches up very well with the Heat. I think that would be an incredibly yeah, tough I, matchup for them. And the Buck, like even the Bucks, the way they changed their personnel this season, I think would be another tough matchup. One of the biggest things last year was when Giannis would drive and kick. Guys weren't knocking down shots in that series. Now they added some shooters around him, so I think it would be a bit of a different outcome. But, you know, beyond those three teams, I could see him beating anybody. I think the rest of the East from there is a bloodbath. Like, it's anybody's guess from there. I mean, the Celtics, if they go out and add a Vucevic, maybe things get a little bit more interesting. But beyond those top three seeds in the East, I think it's it's anybody's game. If the Celtics add Vucevic, Miami can't beat them. I would I would agree I with that. I, I, Mm. I would be very interested to see the Celtics and what they would have to give up to get him. Because if I was them, I would not give up Marcus Smart. Kemba? I know it, if, if they could, I would do that before the Magic hung up the phone. That would be a double win. You know, Miami, uh, I can see like, you know, I can see them beating both. I don't know if it's just... Boston's been struggling, but like we said, you know, scratch record, playoff time, seven-game series. With Jalen Brown improving, you know, Kemba's been playing good. It's going to be a tough series. I could, they have they have the mental edge over the Bucks, but adding shooters is going to be tough for them. It, it's really just going to come down to how much Jimmy Butler's going to be able to carry them. And the year two improvement in the playoffs with Tyler Harrow and Bam Adebayo, how they're going to play in the playoffs. But I think with them having the person, I, I do think they have the personnel to beat Philly. It's just going to come down to come playoff time. Is Joel Embiid still going to have that switch on? Is Ben Simmons going to be a little bit better than what he's been doing? Tobias Harris, he's going to be consistent. If the shooters are going to hit shots, then I, I think they don't have any chance to beat Philly. Same thing with Milwaukee. If Giannis has that switch on, if the shooters are hitting. But I think... Top to bottom, they have the personnel to beat the top teams outside of the Brooklyn Nets. It's just if they're going to do it, you know. They have been struggling. They have teams. The guys have been in and out of the lineup, so it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to rely on Jimmy Butler a lot this playoffs. But if you could do outside of Jimmy, Joel Embiid, and Giannis, Jimmy has shown the ability that you can count on him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out. I mean, people have – teams have figured out Miami's offense this season at least. I mean, this season – they're 26 in points per game. What's carrying them to wins right now is their defense. They're fifth in opponents' points per game. They're 25th in offensive rating and eighth in defensive rating. So I don't know what it is. I mean, when I've seen Miami play this season, I don't think they're moving the ball nearly as well as they did last season. That unselfishness and that magic that they had last season is not translated to this season. And I think teams have been guarding Duncan Robinson a little bit better. And because of that, I mean, he was a huge part of their success. But 
When, when you talk about personnel, I mean, this is the same Miami team they had last season. You know, just switch out Derrick Jones Jr., Jay Crowder, who I think Jay Crowder was their biggest loss. <coughs> but Avery Bradley has not played yet. When he plays, I think we can po- possibly see a different, a better defensive team and a better offensive team because Avery Bradley can space the floor as well. Yeah, and we also got to remember they're going through that kind of 71-day offseason hangover that I think everybody really was expecting, but we didn't know how it was going to hit. And I feel like it's really affected the Heat injury-wise and also just play-wise, which you can kind of combine those two because having Jimmy Butler miss pretty much half the start of the season, the young guys had to take on more of a responsibility. They were slumping in increased roles. So it's been tough for them to find their footing. I think if they could get everybody back healthy, it would be, you know, they would be a much tougher team. But we got to see them get everybody on the floor first. Yeah, and like you said, with Duncan Robinson, people have figured out because he hasn't really developed his game. You know, he's kind of been the same player as last year, just a simple off-the-screen catch. He has to develop his game. And what Avery Bradley has been missing, but if you if you plug Avery Bradley in the lineup, you take out one of your best shooters. And if you keep your best shooters in, that's when teams in the fourth go hunting. You know, they hunt for Tyler Harrow. They hunt for Duncan Robinson because they're, bad defenders they're, they're the easiest defenders to hunt for so if you plug Avery Bradley in you take out one of your best shooters so it, it's in a play it's going to be tough to assess them but I do think getting that fifth seed is going to be key because they can beat the Knicks it's not going to be a, a easy four or five game series but they can beat the Knicks I think Indiana they can beat Indiana any other teams eighth seed of Charlotte gets in they'll beat Charlotte so I think that fifth seed getting there fifth fourth is going to be key but if they get fourth or fifth then Brooklyn ends up first. It's over in the second round, so it's it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for them. I I, I have him as a second round exit. The next topic we're going to talk about is Nikola Jokic. He has been having a fantastic season. He's averaging twenty seven points per game, eleven rebounds, eight point six assists per game, one point seven steals, and point seven blocks, shooting fifty seven percent from the field and forty one percent. From three, do you feel that Jokic's season has been overlooked because the Nuggets are not winning as much this year? I wouldn't say overlooked because you know he's top three in the MVP race. I would say he's not. I think he would be one if they were winning as much. Like we, I think we all can agree we all had them as like a top three seed coming into the season. They were going to win a lot of games. I think the team losing has kind of haven't put in the notice on him. He's damn near number one in every advanced stat. So he's dominating this season. Like you said, 27-11-9. I think just with them not winning enough, he isn't going to get the credit. Like, he isn't getting the same shell as Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's kind of getting all the love right now because they're number one seed in the East. I think if Denver was winning more, he'd get the love. But that's really it. Other than that, he should still be getting the love because he is having a dominant season just like Joel Embiid, just like LeBron. Might be even better than both of them, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think it's being overlooked because this season alone, I think he's had just as big of an impact on winning as anybody in the NBA. I think it's him and Joel Embiid at the top this season with the impact they've had on their team's success. If you take Jokic off this team, they're not even a playoff team in the Western Conference. And I it's for that reason, you know, Jamal Murray started to pick it up a little bit, but outside of him, Really, this entire team has underperformed this season, and I think Jokic just carried them to be in the position they're in and allow them a chance to turn it around in this second half where they're still in a playoff spot. 
they could figure it out and make a run for it. And that's all because of Jokic and what he does. And he does it in so many different ways. No matter what you need for him, he can go out and score the ball. He can, He's not a spectacular defender, but he can defend. He passes the ball wildly. He rebounds. He really does it all. And I, I you know... Like I said at the beginning, his impact on winning is right up there with Joel Embiid this season. And I don't think that people are giving him the same shine that Joel is getting because the Sixers are at the top of the East. This year, Jokic is averaging seven more points, one more rebound, and one more assist. But he's shooting 10% better from three. Last year, he shot 31%. What are you talking about? And he's shooting 5% better better from the field. The other night, he recorded his 50th triple-double, which... Pass Wilt Chamberlain. Mm. Wilt Chamberlain took 703 games to do it. Jokic did it in 416, the only center to do so. And this was a quote from an executive. He's like Luka Doncic, but a center. He passes like a point guard, can shoot off the leg like Dirk Nowitzki. He's a point guard. Makes sense. And I think that's the greatest comparison. I mean, Jokic can literally quite be Dirk and Luka in one. You know, and I think Nikola Jokic is what old heads want us to believe that Bill Walton was. <laughs> when you talk about Bill Walton and how he was a great scorer. I heard he was passer. a gifted passer. Yes, but we've seen it. I, I think best passers in the game, Nikola Jokic is definitely up there. He might be the best depending on who you ask. I don't think he is because I would have Harden up there and LeBron up there. And then I'd have Jokic probably. I think he's a top five passer most definitely. But... He's not only in the MVP conversation, but you can make a legitimate argument that he deserves to be the most improved player this season based on his percentages and the points he's averaging. Jeremy Grant's averaging 11 more points this season. Jokic is at seven. And when you take into account all the other stats that he's improved at, he has a legit case. But if Jokic was giving us these numbers with last year and the year before team success, he would have been MVP, no doubt about it. But because this team is a seventh seed, I believe the sixth or seventh seed. Seventh. The set, Yeah, there may be the seventh seed. They are not getting, Jokic is not getting as recognized as a Joel Embiid. And Jamal Murray has been playing good. I mean, he's averaging 21 points per game this season, which is a three-point jump from last season. And overall, I think losing a lot of their depth has hurt them over the years. They lost Malik Beasley two seasons ago. You lose um, Jeremy Grant. They traded Malik Beasley. Yes, you lose Jeremy Grant. You lose, um, I think, who else did they lose? They lost Mason Plumley as well. Like, they've lost a lot of players. Torrey they lost Torrey Craig. And they're counting on young guys to step up like R.J. Hampton, Compazzo, Zeke Naji, who's been playing and stepping in. Bowl Bowl, I thought it was going to get a lot of minutes this year, but he hasn't yet. So, overall, I think this Nuggets team has been – underperforming for what we thought they were going to be. But Jokic definitely still should be a top MVP candidate. And I don't think he'll win it because I see the farthest that they can get to, in my opinion, is the fifth seed in the West. I don't think they'll be, they'll, they won't finish over the Jazz, the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Suns. So the best they can get is the fifth seed, and we'll see what happens from there. But he's having a fantastic season. I yeah. think I think Embiid will probably at the pace he's going, Embiid is probably going to get it. I don't know. It it depends if they're finally going to put Embiid over LeBron. But I think at the pace Embiid is going right now, he's probably going to get it just because, like you said, I feel like Joker is having a better statistical season. But in terms of impacting winning on the team, Embiid is 
gonna get it over him. But like you said, if they if they had the same record as last year and Joker was putting up these numbers, he'd probably win a unanimous MVP in my opinion. I think he's been that dominant this year. But just like you said, the team hasn't been that good. Guys haven't been stepping up. They're relying on a lot of young guys who have Michael Porter Jr. has been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't been playing that much. So it's it's gonna be tough. But I would have probably Embiid right now. Crazy thing is he's only twenty six years old. So he's got a lot more room to grow. I mean, usually you hit your prime around like 28, 29 years old, I'd say. 27, 28, 29. So he's still probably got room to grow. That's insanity. I mean, he is just so much fun to watch. And although the record hasn't been there this season like it has in the past, we should not overlook how awesome he's been this year. Yeah, and I've said it before. I think Nikola Jokic is the best center in basketball. Like I know that you can people can argue and bead a debate and bead, but for me, I would take Nikola Jokic as my guy. I just think he's the best center in basketball. You can debate that back and forth, but I personally would prefer Nikola Jokic. I think to be on my squad. I know we both, all three of us, have both of them guys near towards the eight nine in the league. You know, top ten. We have them around. Where does Jokic get put now? Do we do we put them? Does he jump you can into put the five him over five Dame. over Dame? Do, can we put both of them over AD? No. For this season, obviously, but overall, I would not say. Well, where did you have AD? You had AD at seven overall. Did I? AD I yeah. thought I had him around five. I thought I had him around five. I could be wrong, though. I'd have to go back and look at my list, but I don't I don't think he's over AD yet, mm-hmm. like full body of work-wise, but like the Dame conversation has to be had now. He's better than Paul George. Paul George is in top ten. You don't think so? No. Oh. You don't? No. <laughs> I would have Paul George top 10. It really depends. No, I, I don't think top I would 15. have Paul George oh, yeah, top 10. And Paul that's George's not a knock 15. on him. The league is just so good right now. Do I they mean, both who, go? Who? So, LeBron, KD, Harden, Curry, Giannis. No, that's like wrong. Are you asking me or are you? No, that's, no, just, that's listing, top five. just listing. Then LeBron, KD. No, 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 no. I'm not saying six on my list. I'm just saying just oh, six. I'm just oh, saying not listing. LeBron, KD, Kawhi. Harden, Curry, those would be five. Giannis. Kawhi. And then the next three would be Dame, Luka, and there would be the Jokic and B. Those would be the next four up. I would put Luka, Jokic. uh, I might put Jokic over Luka. Now, I'm not putting Jokic over Luka. I might put put Jokic over Luka, I think. I'll probably put Jokic. Yeah, Jokic, Luka, Dame, and B would be my next four up. I don't know where to put AD. It's hard to put AD somewhere right now. It's been such a strange year. Yeah, between wait, this. Wait, I didn't listen AD. No, we stopped at six, and you didn't listen yeah, AD. No, AD's there. AD. If we're just talking about like this season, he's not. But if we're talking, we're overall, talking about overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. is he? I'm saying, he is but there. I would have. Could you had him at two? I would have him right ahead of Jokic right now. So, like, I would have okay. him right at the end of okay. that. Okay, all right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I was saying like they're right behind him. Like, yeah, because I had him at seven. Probably be my last superstar. AD. Yeah. Unless you will, I would consider Jokic. You have to. Yeah, he's he more of a star, superstar. Yeah, you have. You definitely have to. But then well, you have to. to he's say? more of a superstar than AD. <laughs> he is. Ooh, I don't know about that. What? What? He is. But AD won a championship last year. As a second fiddle, who, though. As a second fiddle, though. As a second fiddle, though. I like. I mean, all right, whatever. You could play tomato tomato with that one. But no, AD is a superstar. I didn't say what. Whoa! I didn't say he wasn't though. I didn't say he wasn't. <laughs> I didn't say he wasn't. I said AD is a superstar. I said Joker is the superstar too, though. But that means you got to say Dame is a superstar too. Yeah, 
Dame is close. We can't say he's close. No, this I think, I think thing, he's like, a different tier of superstar. Yeah, it's so like hard. a tier two. Yeah, it's so he's hard to, differen- to differentiate. The thing about like Dame is, not. is I mean, Joel Embiid a superstar? I mean, like with but what then if he's Dame's done a this tier season, two, Jokic has to be a tier two. What has he done? No, he to is be a tier two. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Joker has to be a tier two. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is this: that this is how you know they're tier two superstars. If they lose, nobody criticizes them. If LeBron. Kawhi, Harden, Curry, any of those guys lose, Giannis loses, mm-hmm. they get massacred in the media. Okay. If Jokic loses, it's understandable. It's cool. If okay, Dame so then loses, wait. it's cool. So AD's a tier two. No, because no, I think he I does would, get crucified. Yeah. If he loses, I think he. I mean, he's, he's got in, in the Pelicans. He got a pass, but with LeBron, de- definitely he's. But even he's gonna even, get his fair even when he was he wanting, win. even when he was wanting out of New Orleans, okay. you heard people saying like, "Oh well." You know, it's not like he's done anything there. Okay, that's fair. That's I, I get, I get, I get what I get. No, but I would I'm have saying, him I'm like saying off of what I've seen. No, AD is there. AD Dude. is there. Like he's a he's a top he's a top ball player in the league. I think. Like I would put him over Giannis. <laughs> I think his struggles that, this year have been a lot that, to do. That with That debate, the, honest to God, is like Embiid and Jokic, Giannis yeah. and AD. It's literally like that. Because yeah. you, you're saying you're going to put him over Giannis. I would agree with you. But Giannis that. has shown the ability to lead a consistent top contender. AD hasn't. He's really good. So Bucks are good. Yeah, but they can be good. But if you you don't have that one guy at the top, they're never going to be a great team. But they are a really good team. Like yeah. AD could have the same team and take them. But you, you don't know that. To the ECF. I, I'm pretty sure. You don't know that. You, you, it's I'm off a guess. Sure. No, I'm pretty sure. Educated guess, yes. I don't know. I yes, mean, I, we've I don't seen know. it with Giannis. 60 win teams, all that. And AD he lost. We, yeah, I mean, AD lost too. But then when he got with LeBron, he won. So would Giannis win a championship with LeBron? You, you switch out AD. Yes. I uh, what the hell? So, That's 100%. a guess. That's what you just did. An That's educated guess. guess. That's a guess. It's an educated guess, like you just no, said. No, but I'm just, I'm just using your logic. I think if you switch you. out any top seven player with AD, they're going to win regardless with LeBron. Any top seven player. Kawhi, I think, he'd win. I think Giannis is much more easy to game plan for. Not when you have LeBron. Then AD. Yeah, I think even still when you have LeBron. I disagree. I think having LeBron would make it a much. No, like we easily. Forget, we, like forget that, we forget that LeBron AD won't. shot 40% from three in the playoffs. On a lot I think of the attempts. team would have been constructed a lot differently had they brought mm. in Giannis instead of instead of AD. Mm. T- uh, I mean, you put, AD at, you put Giannis at the five the same way AD is at the five. You can't double team him. I'm just saying, probably. I'm not I, saying that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm also saying that the, the same logic you try, you try to use against me is the same thing I just said to you. No, you said educated guess. So, all right, cool. I yeah, just gave you the same thing. AD, educated AD guess. You can take that roster far. That same roster that Giannis has right now. I don't know. I don't know. He could. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Ad, that's another conversation for another day. I don't know. I mean, you you plug out any guy, Kawhi, you could. You could plug in. You honestly, you could. Ah, nah. Let me not disrespect him. You plug out Luke Dane. I mean, you don't like Anthony Davis. Well, you you know you put him. You said on this show he's the second best player in the NBA coming into the twenty twenty one season. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, if I'm at, so what I asked you that question because you jumped him so high because he won a chip. So I'm asking you. No, the but way I'm Luke, saying, the I'm way saying, Jokic I'm, I'm is just, playing right I now, just want to let you got to jump him high, right? No, if we're talking for this year, yeah. who's having a better year than Jokic is having a better year, but. Who is the better player? It's Anthony Davis. Like I'm not really. Oh no, we're not. No, no. Anthony okay. Davis is a better player than Jokic. I know that. Okay, so. Yeah, but you I mean, to, I mean, I'm just trying to let everybody know that you don't like. You're not fond of Anthony Davis. Let the record be known. You're not fond of Steph Curry. You still give him his props. 
I'll give AD his props. He's a top seven player in the NBA. You so, just said Jokic is a more, more of a superstar than AD. I said he's, he should get just that right. He's led his team consistently. He's been the but top I of the think, food chain. I think we we all agreed. I mean, we had them right next to each other. I think we all we had did. Them like but I'm saying six, if you're gonna if you're gonna seven, if you're gonna eight. sit there and say AD's a superstar when he was a second footer on the championship and he's led his team to an eighth seed maybe twice when Joker has been. Now, leading his team. Than an eight seed. Oh, yeah. In, okay, he finished fourth one time. When Jokic has consistently shown that he can lead his team and be the top guy. Twice. They've made the playoffs twice. Yeah, he's only been a, an all-star twice. Maybe three times. But you, you're you're saying consistently like he's done it like for 10 years. It's I mean, been two AD years. did it three times. Jokic, yes, is, on, how, but Jokic was, is on his third time. He wasn't, on, he wasn't on New Orleans for long, though. For he was on New Orleans for like six, seven years. And he did it half of the time. And, and what Joker is in what year six he did it half was, of the time. And he was injured most of the time. Anthony oh come on! What, what, what? That, that doesn't matter. How can <laughs> you play a team triple last year? You're injured. <laughs> I will that say that doesn't matter. I will okay. say. Jokic has also had a much better organization to work with. I would say, like roster, like okay, the roster fair. around that's him, fair. the head coach. I think like his situation has been better. That's true. So, has homegrown their talent pretty much outside of getting Paul Millsap. They have homegrown their like, talent. Like I think that 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 is the slight edge that, that I makes, think Jokic has had. That's fair. I'm just saying, man. but I think they're they both have, they're both about to have the like I think it's very close. They both have the same. Jokic is about to have his third playoff run as the man. AD had three two, so it's the same thing. Okay, but I'm still saying. I'm, I mean, Dame too. If you're gonna, Ray, how did we even get here? I forgot. Because he wanted to hit on. <laughs> oh, we were Davis. talking about if Jokic is being overlooked. Yeah, yeah. this this is Jokic's <laughs> segment. You want to turn it into? I did not stall. Try to make. I didn't start it. You you, you want to turn it into a AD hate? No, I didn't. Hate, hate fest. Yo, I never. How am I a hater for putting AD as the seventh best player in the world? Nah, because you said that Jokic is more of a superstar than AD. I said That's he's as much started. of a superstar as AD. That's what I said. I think Dame is too. Nah, I don't think so. But I, I love Joker. So for people watching, I love Joker still. You know, but I just want to let it be known that River is a Anthony Davis hater. If you go to his Twitter, you'll see a bunch of Anthony Davis takes and they are not speaking fine. I mean, I can say the same Davis. thing when you talk about Curry though. You are a remote All right, all right. Curry all right. I'll admit it though. I'm not a <laughs> big fan of Curry. It. I just admitted it. But so, I would never I, I you would never hear me say that he's in the same bracket of superstar as Dame. I would never say that. But that's a clear Steph is a clear notch above. Like, what you mean though? Like A D I think is a clear notch above Jokic right. too. He's a defense right. player of the year candidate. To put a bow on candidate. this. To put a bow on <laughs> he this because won we, last could, we could do this all night. Shoulda coulda woulda. We could do this all night if we wanted to. But to transition a little bit here, in the chat, they're talking about the draft. LeBron took Giannis. K D took Kyrie. Of course he did. LeBron took Curry. K D took Embiid. LeBron took Luca. KD took Kawhi, LeBron took Jokic, and KD took Beal. Of course, he picked Kyrie over. Uh, yeah, so Curry. it's so Duh. it's so it's well, I guess Sabonis. Well, who's taking KD's starting spot? Tatum. Okay, so it's Tatum, Kyrie. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Kawhi. They're cool. Joel and Beal. Are they really? Yeah, they are. Yeah, <clears throat> Kawhi and Bradley Beal versus LeBron, Curry, Luca, Jokic. Oh my God. I'm missing one. LeBron. Unless he didn't, unless team LeBron is going to probably. Giannis, win. Giannis, yeah. Giannis. Giannis. Oh, my God. Yeah, because team Le- I mean, LeBron, LeBron LeBron goes off of who's the best. He doesn't really play favorites. KD's obviously uh, playing if, favorites. If, if AD was in the draft, he would have picked him first. Giannis picked Middleton off the bench. I mean, Giannis, first like I said, Giannis is like top two player potential. So it doesn't matter if he picks him first. He deserves that. 
anyway. No, I'm just saying, like, if, if LeBron had a teammate in there, I'm sure he would have picked him, too. No. KD's first pick was Kyrie. Come on, bro. That was extreme, like, loyalty thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, That's what I'm loyalty. saying. If LeBron, I mean, if you put Contavious Caldwell Pope take, in the starting take, draft, I'm sure take, he would have taken him. He didn't take Harden, though. Or Harden Harden's not a starter. Harden's not a starter. Oh. I'm saying Luka was there, Jokic was there, and Embiid was there. now. So I bet you Harden is the next pick. LeBron took Dame. Yes, we read the comments throughout the uh, was episode. Last year, first pick, middle, uh, Giannis off the bench. You yeah. pick Middleton. Yeah. <laughs> AJ's Middleton. <laughs> it's the loyalty it's, thing. It's kind of like, it's kind of annoying because it messes with the teams, but yeah. the game was still awesome last year. Now, I I, hope I'll be honest, though. I, I think, why did, why did KD get to draft his team if he's not even going to play? It makes he was, no sense. He was the, um, they should have just made another leader, like and beach. The next, but no, the team. next person in the votes was Steph, though. So it would have been weird. I mean, he's in the West, though, so That's, he would have to get somebody to yeah, do it. They, I guess they just like we just gonna have KD pick. Yeah, because it makes no sense. Like, why KD. is he pick? Who he's picking on a team that he's not even gonna play for? <laughs> KD no took Harden and Booker. LeBron took Simmons. Just clutch boy. <laughs> yeah, the team LeBron's gonna win, no doubt. Yeah. Well, let's go on I to the let's go on crazy. to the next segment. We are going to talk about Alonzo Ball. And Alonzo Ball has had a pretty good season thus far. He's averaging 15 points per game, four rebounds, five assists, shooting 43% from the field and 39% from three, and averaging 1.3 steals per game. And in the last 10 games, averaging 16, 6, and 3. Has Alonzo finally found his footing in the NBA? And I'll start this, and I'll say I, I think Lonzo has. When you watch him play, it's clear that he's playing with assertiveness. He's more aggressive on the offensive end. It looks like he's getting after it every possession. He's not afraid to go and drive to the basket and, and create his own shot, something that early in his career we chastised him for doing a lot. But now I see him on back-to-back possessions, pulling up from three, going to the basket. They're putting him in pick-and-roll situations, so – you know, he's the main ball handler in those situations. He's not just being used as a spot-up shooter. And I think that's helping Alonzo tremendously. I think this is a year that we're starting to see considerable growth in his game. And his three-point his three point percentage has been going up every single season. He's one of the better three-point shooters in the league right now. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I mean, this is a player that we thought we were all getting when he came out of UCLA and was the second overall pick. He's finally becoming that. And in a contract year, he had to become that. Mm. You know, there were talks about the Pelicans trading him early in the year. There are still some of those rumblings now. So because of that, I think it, it gave Lonzo a chip on his shoulder to kind of show out. I also think him seeing LaMelo play so well is kind, of, is kind of giving him another chip. But no doubt about it, Lonzo, he's already a great defender, a great passer, and he's improved so much as a shooter and scorer. He is going to get paid this offseason because he brings a lot to a team. KD just took Levine. I'm sick. Um, <clears throat> I, I I don't want to say he's – I definitely say he's – like it's hard to assess that Pelicans team with the way they're constructed and how bad they are built. But Lonzo's definitely – you can see with his brother coming into the league and getting the shine he's getting. You could definitely see the little jealousy in the way he's trying to step his game up. I would say, though, that we do see this a lot throughout Lonzo's career. He goes into these stretches where he shows he can be that type of player. So it's hard to really fully 
give you an answer, but I would say if he keeps it going, I would say, yeah, he's gotten to go. I mean, you can see he's shown a little confidence in his game. He's starting to gel even more with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Zion now being more healthy than he was. You can definitely see their game starting to connect. But Lonzo does this every year. He goes through these stretches where he shows he can be that player, and then he fizzles out. I hope, I want to see the consistency with him. I think this Pelicans spot is the best spot for him in a contract year. But I just, I don't know. I've seen this too much from Lonzo, so I, I have an I don't know answer right now. I just think it's crazy, the three-point percentage. If nothing else in his game, he's not only is he shooting, I mean, 40%, I think, is a benchmark for elite three-point shooters in the league. Yeah. He's at 39.6 on over seven over seven attempts a game. He's 7.7 attempts per game. So that is elite three-point shooting from a guy who has pretty much been chastised his whole career for his shooting motion and his issues shooting the ball. So now having that come around, we already knew he was an elite perimeter defender. He's a great passer of the basketball. He is like the the facilitator. Like that that's the guy you want running your offense and now the offensive like scoring the basketball is starting to come around, shooting the basketball is starting to come around. He's going to get paid a lot of money this offseason and I think it will be a good investment for a team because he can although he doesn't do it all at an elite, at an elite level, <laughs> he can do it all for your team. Like he can rebound, he can pass, he can defend. The shot is starting to come around, so I think he would be a great investment for a team this offseason. See, you, you talked about the stretch Alonzo goes on. I mean, you have a point, but, I mean, the, he's averaging 15 for the year, basically. You know, he's shooting 39% for the season. So this is not just a stretch. And we're a good amount into the season. Yes, this has been basically half the year, and he has been doing this. He started out a little bit rough, but now he's getting it going. I think because LaMelo was showing out, because I think – Pressure has been lifted off Alonzo. He doesn't have to exceed his expectations. I think he's much more comfortable in the role of people thinking he sucks rather than <laughs> people thinking he's going to be a megastar. I think he's much more comfortable with that. He he likes not having the pressure on him, and because of that, it's allowing him to thrive more. Because there are some people that they don't like a lot of attention. They don't like pressure. You know, there there are some people that they'd rather be under the radar, do their job, and go home and not have the media swirling around him. I think Lonzo was one of those guys. He doesn't want to have the media talking about him 24-7 if he can become this player or exceed this expectation. He kind of wants the media to have a narrative of him that he's not so good. And then when you see him play, you're like, wow, he actually is really good. There are some players like that in the league, and I think Lonzo fits that better. He's a low-key guy. You can tell he's introverted. He's more to himself. Where you see LaMelo... He's an extrovert. LaMelo wants the spotlight on him. LaMelo wants to be the superstar. He wants to have attention, and he thrives on it. You can see the energy that he, he feeds off that type of energy. He loves being a center of attention. I think Lonzo is much more to the side. He's just he's just low-key with his stuff, and I think it's helping him out this season because, I mean, going into this year, we all at most – I mean, the narrative around Lonzo was that he was a lost cause. And we thought he was such a lost cause that LaMelo was going to be bad as well. A lot of people kind of labeled LaMelo that as well. So because of that, I think Lonzo was striving because he doesn't have to live to live up to these expectations. Yeah, and you can even go back to his high school days where Chino Hills was essentially a national sensation. I remember watching those videos on YouTube in school of those three dominating. And even back then, he was not, with all the attention they got, he was never the face of it. 
Like he would he would have a crazy game and have nothing to say about it. He has that famous video of him crossing the kid over and helping him up. Like he was never the uh the entertainer. Yeah. That was always LaMelo and even then to a lesser extent, I think LiAngelo was more of an entertainer than he was. I think he's just a baller and, and he likes to be to himself. He raps on the side like he just plays the game cuz he loves it. He doesn't do it for the stardom. And I think the worst thing that could have happened to his career was two things actually. One him being the first of his brothers to make it to the league because he was still attached to his father. His father thought he had the blueprint with the you know the the BBB shoes, um, you know the Los Angeles limelight, and that's the other thing. Getting drafted to Los Angeles, playing with LeBron, it, it was not a good situation for a guy who is laid back, doesn't want to be in the spotlight because between his dad boosting him up, the shoes. Being in Los Angeles with LeBron, expecting to be a, a championship contending team, it was a disastrous situation for him to be in. And you know, although he never lived up to those shoes, he he never filled those shoes. Now being in New Orleans, getting to really work through his game, and like you said, his brother now starting to take the spotlight. I feel like it's just a per, a perfect concoction, and I think that this is only the beginning. Mm. I think you're going to see him get better. For he's 23 years old. Like that's the thing we seem to forget, you know. You can kind of get young. you can get fatigued to some of these guys after a couple of years, but we've seen guys turn their careers around early on. I mean, D'Angelo Russell's another guy who was in Los Angeles. It didn't work out, and people kind of just totally forgot about him. He went to Brooklyn, turned his career around. I think that this is only the start for Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so now we are going to go on to the next topic. And this is another under-the-radar player, even more under-the-radar than Lonzo Ball has been this season. We are going to talk about Miles Powell. So, Miles Powell, he was the big... Uh, he was a na- Big East player of the year, National Player of the Year last season, big Jack. East. Big East. And he was then a- he was also, I believe, voted the best shooting guard in the nation. Okay. So, he was voted the best shooting guard in the nation, which is a Jerry West Award, I believe. It's called the Jerry West Award. Played for CN Hall... And he went undrafted in the draft, which was a shock to a lot of people, but he did sign with the New York Knicks. The Knicks did not keep him around. Instead, they sent him to the G League. He played for the Westchester Knicks, and his G League stats are 18 points per game, three rebounds, three assists, shooting 44% from the field and 44% from three. He's been playing so good there that the Milwaukee Bucks have decided to sign him to a two-way contract. And... Is he finally going to get his opportunity? I mean, Jack and I made a segment about it earlier on when he, the, the the Knicks did sign Miles Powell. We talked about how this is going to be a steal for the Knicks because Miles Powell is a scorer. He's a bona fide scorer. The Knicks don't really, at the time, we didn't think they had that much talent. So this could have been a perfect fit. But as we know now, I mean, the Knicks had way too many guards. They had Frank Nilakina, Dennis Smith Jr., Alfred Payne, Emmanuel Quickly, Austin Rivers, Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks. So there weren't enough spots for Miles Powell to succeed with the Knicks. How do you think? Do you think Miles Powell is going to get a shot with the Milwaukee Bucks? I think he should. You know, I think considering his game, I know when with the Knicks, you guys, he came out of shape to training camp. And he did? yeah, like he came out of shape, and it probably it looked what it looks like to us is the man you quickly basically beat him out for that spot. You know, the guy from Kentucky. So I think Miles Power he went into the G League, got his game up. You see, he's now slimmer again. He's back to NBA fit. I think Milwaukee could use a guy like him, kind of a guy 
basically that can shoot as good as guys like Bryn Forbes, but he can create off the dribble, you know, get to the basket. He's kind of a three-level scorer in a sense for his position, his size. I think Milwaukee could definitely use him. It's just going to be tough to get up those rankings with Drew Holiday there, Bryn Forbes there. You know, Chris Middleton's up there too. So it's going to be hard in a team like the Bucks, who pride themselves on veteranship and leadership and guys who know the game, know the system. But I think over the course of time, he can definitely get in the league. He just has to play his spots correctly. Yeah, and I think that the Knicks, like in hindsight, were not the best landing spot for him because Tom Thibodeau predicates his system on defense. Miles Powell, unless there's some astronomical change, he's never going to be a good defender at this level. But there are so many guys in the league that play a huge role on teams that are terrible defenders. Forget good defenders. They're not even okay. They're not even average defenders. I mean, Duncan Robinson, not saying he's Duncan Robinson, Duncan Robinson is a terrible defender and and is still was a starter last year on a championship contending team. So, like, I get the defense is a problem, but the guy can flat out score the ball. I mean, I get it. He was in the G League, but this G League right now is not any other G League. We're talking about a G League that's featuring guys who are going to be the top upcoming picks in this year's draft on the Ignite team. So the competition level is different this year from other years in that G League bubble, and he was putting up 18 on 44 and 44. That, those are, like, really good numbers, elite shooting splits. And so the fact that he couldn't get a shot somewhere is crazy to me. Now he's getting a chance with the Bucks, and I hope they give him some minutes because I think he would be a good fit on a team with a guy like Giannis who, you know, what's the, what's the knock on him? He struggles shooting the ball. So put a shooter like Miles Powell there. You know he could hit that. He can, he can knock down an open shot in the catch and shoot. So I think it's a good fit. I hope he gets a chance to actually show it on the floor because look at what he was just doing in the bubble. And like I said, that G league bubble, it's like the G normal G league on steroids. So I hope he gets a shot like to actually prove himself this time. The thing with the bucks is that you look at the depth chart, you got holiday starting at point guard. He, nobody's taking his spot. Nobody. Then DJ Augustine is a backup point guard. Miles Powell is not going to take DJ Augustine's spot. Dante DJ, Davinci, he's not taking. DJ spot. Augustine is a solidified guy. He's he's a he, if he was starting, he'd be one of the worst starting point guards in the league. But since he's the backup, he's one of the best backup point guards in the league. Then you look at shooting guards. Dante Divincenzo, he's not taking the spot. The only guy that Miles Powell can get minutes over is probably Bryn Forbes. But Bryn Forbes has been really great this season. He's averaging nine points, basically ten a game. 19 minutes only a game, shooting 46% from three. So he's a solidified guy, and those are the guards that are playing. Is Miles Powell going to get to play? I mean, only if Drew Holiday gets injured, God he's, forbid. He's actually coming back now. So Yeah, and he has been injury prone, so we'll see what happens. But for me, I mean, we'll see if he gets a shot. But I think if he does get a shot, he'll make the most of it. I think the best landing spot for him would have been Golden State. Mm. I mean, they need bench. Like, Yo. I think he, I think Miles Powell is better than Brad Wanamaker. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if go if Miles Powell would have went to Golden State, he would have been way better off because he would have got a chance to play right away. But Milwaukee is kind of that place that low key spot. They're they're trying. They're probably just going to stash him and see, you know, just in case an injury pops up and he gets some minutes. But it's going to take a lot of different events. It's going to take a lot of different events for Miles Powell to finally get that opportunity with the Bucks because this is a team that is trying to win a championship. So they are not trying to develop guys. They're not trying to give young guys burn. 
They're trying to win now and put themselves in the best position to win. And Miles Powell is in a weird situation because he's not young enough where he fits teams' young core and what they want to do moving forward, but he's not old enough and doesn't have the experience of a veteran in the NBA. And because of that, he has to really hope a lot of things go his way situationally for him to get a shot to prove himself, and he has to go on a hot stretch and make the most of his opportunities. I mean, when you're an undrafted player, you you only got a few opportunities. So if you get the chance to play, you can't stink it up. He has to literally be lights out. Yeah, and I'm glad he made a roster, and I really, whether it's here or somewhere else, I hope he gets a chance to prove himself. It's unbelievable to me looking at this list of teams in the league and some of the guys who get legit minutes for these teams that he couldn't find a shot somewhere. And I think that if he does get the chance, he will make a lot of GMs look very that's silly. A, that's the thing in college with seniors. You know, it's hard to stay all four years and fully get I, – I, I don't – the last guy I know who came out buzzing the way Miles Powell did was Buddy Hield. I could be missing somebody, but it was definitely Buddy Hield the way he was and dominating. Buddy had a more NBA-ready body coming yeah, in. Yeah, so, so. It's, it's, it's hard for a guy of that caliber to be a senior in college and – get the same notoriety as these lottery picks in first and second rounders. So it's it's tough all around. But like you said, I think Milwaukee's probably going to stash him. You know, he's 23, I think, or 22, something like that. So they're probably going to stash him, you know, get him some play time probably at the end of the year when they're already locked in for a playoff spot. And hopefully he shines and balls and puts on for Jersey. Yep. So now we're going to go to our final topic Jersey. in the basketball portion of this episode. It is – pretenders or contenders or (laughs) contenders or pretenders NBA edition. So listen, we're going to talk about the first eight teams in the West and the first eight teams in the East. And for anybody that's looking at this video that clicked on it because of the thumbnail and you see the jazz and you're a jazz fan, this does not mean we're all picking jazz as pretenders. Some of us may pick them, but this was just a thumbnail, just, um, just to grab just, your attention. Just to, um, I need you to just explain what pre- contender means, like contender for a chip. Do you contenders means? Do you think they they have they can make the finals? Okay, cool. Pretenders means they they probably won't make the finals. You think their regular season success is more of a fluke than it is what they really are? Okay, cool. So Thank you. we are going to start with the West, the Utah Jazz. So <laughs> the Utah going, Jazz, going right at it. <laughs> wasting no time. The Utah Jazz are the first seed in the Western Conference. They have been phenomenal so far this season. And I'm going to start with you, Jack. Yes, sir. Do you think the Jazz (laughs) are contenders or pretenders? Uh, It's so tough because, you know, we kind of talked about this. I don't know if it was last show or a show before. I don't think they're as... I don't think they're as much of a contender as the Lakers or Clippers. But the one thing I will say for them, one... The Lakers have been dealing with injuries, and they have to get healthy. And it's Mm. a concern because Anthony Davis' injury is one that can continue to leak into the playoffs, and without Anthony Davis, they've struggled mightily, and Dennis Schroeder. So i got to see them get healthy. The Clippers still have that stain from last year. they got to get over that hump. So I said it before when we were talking about them. If there was ever a year to do it as a non-super team, I guess you would say, or a team without that superstar power of the Lakers or Clippers, this would be the year. But at the end of the day, I have to say pretenders, and it's not a knock on the Jazz. It's just because those two L.A. teams are so good, and I just don't see... I, I, I feel like by that time, the Lakers will be healthy. 
The Clippers have started to turn it around a little bit from last year and get that stench off of them from that 3-1 lead that they blew. So I think it's going to come down to those two L.A. teams in the West, and that's the reason I'm saying the Jazz. Well, you jinx the Jazz. They're going to the chip. Um, my thought process is I'm looking at both teams. I'm looking at all teams as if they're healthy. You know, They're going in with their full loaded roster. And I'm going to say the Jazz are contenders. I think the Jazz are fully equipped – and these three teams is going to be hard. We're going to get into it. But I think the Jazz can match up well and beat the Los Angeles Clippers. I don't think they can beat the Lakers just off the simple fact that Gobert isn't a person you're equipped to handle Anthony Davis. But I think with the Clippers, with their lack of size down low and the fact that they have Zubac and Serge Ibaka, I think Gobert is going to be much more effective in that game. So for that being said, Donovan Mitchell playing the way he's playing, and I know he's going to show up in the playoffs. Mike Conley, who's getting back to that form, they got their shooters, they got their sixth man of the year. I think the Jazz are definitely contenders in this in this run. I think they're contenders. So, so you, they're contenders for you, Jack. How about you? You saying they are too? You said uh, pretender. I'm going to say they're pretenders. <laughs> Jazz fans, but spoiler, alert, spoiler alert. Don't Jazz cheat. fans, don't jump on me. I, I, there are two contenders in the West for me. So it's not like I'm picking don't anybody else don't, above don't, you. There are two. Don't. There are only two teams above you, and you can guess who they are. Don't be scared now, Jack. This oh, I'm not scared. I'm telling it like it is. This is the thing. I'm I'm a little, I'm gonna sway a little bit from what you said, Riv. When you talk about you're gonna talk about the teams fully healthy. I'm gonna talk about the teams as if we as realistic as possible. The Lakers are dealing with a lot of injuries, <coughs> right? And Anthony Davis, who knows what's happening with him because he has a really scary injury that they have to kind of manage. Because one wrong thing, and he can possibly tear his Achilles like Durant did. They have to really manage his injury accordingly. So because of that, if the Jazz are going into the playoffs and they don't have to face a fully healthy Lakers team, they'll beat the Lakers. I think they can beat the Clippers in a seven-game series. It, it will be a dogfight. Mm-hmm. But I think that series can go either way because we have seen the Clippers. They're one of the worst teams in the clutch this season. And the Jazz have been losing recently. Like, they lost to the Sixers. They lost to the Clippers. They lost to the Pelicans. And, but, but even in their losses, like against the Pelicans, they were still extremely efficient. The Pelicans had an anomaly game. <laughs> so because of that, I'm, I'm going with the Jazz as contenders because I think they shoot the ball so well from three. They are very efficient, and they defend really well. It's really going to come down to can they keep hitting their shots and to this point in the season they have been. And if you can hit your threes like that on a consistent basis, I think that you're a contender just because analytically it shows that you're a contender. Wait, before let, you go, let me uh, say, wait, hold, before, I just want to say this. You said they were in the locks to make the playoffs. You jinxed them, and now they're literally like the best team in the West. You do know that, right? Listen, <laughs> listen. Uh, let's, let's revisit this segment in like <laughs> April. I, the reason I say that is because if in April or you know later April, early May, if the Lakers are still not healthy, we're having a different conversation. I'm trusting that the Lakers are being smart with this AD injury, you, taking uh, it easy. If we get to May and they're still having some injury issues, I will start to be very concerned about that. And like you said, if we're talking a, a non-healthy Lakers team, I think it's a totally different story. But if we're talking everybody healthy... I don't see anybody in the West getting past those two teams. I think, like, they're going to monitor AD's situation. I, don't, I I think they're going to do it pretty well, so that's why I'm not really too thought on worried about it. I still think if they don't have AD, it's still going to be a dogfight with just listen, LeBron. Listen, both of you. Agreed. 
Jack, do you want to listen to your take that you said about the Jazz? But <laughs> oh, no, I was wrong about the Jazz. I've admitted No, nah, you have to play it. You do have you to want play us to play yeah, it, though? Play. I mean, play. you could play it. I was wrong okay. about that. Tur- turn the Bluetooth up. Because I don't think Jazz fans have listened to this yet. Oh, no, they listen the Jazz to and I do about teams looking on the outside in, but I would not feel confident about saying the Jazz are a playoff lock. Mm. Oh, but you don't think a team outside of OKC in the West are going to miss the playoffs? If I had to pick one? Outside of if I had to pick one, it would probably say it. Which is what you think? It's the Jazz. I don't think it would be the Jazz. Who else is missing the playoffs from the West? I feel better about the. <laughs> that was the take. They they really are the best team in the league though. Yeah. That's crazy. No, I listen, thought they, I, I thought wrong. they were going to be like middle of the pack. I didn't think they were. I was only, I think I was the only one that said they're like a lock, like a legit lock. And you just went all yeah. They're not getting in. It's wraps for them. I was like, I Damn. never I never said they weren't getting in. I said they I didn't think they were a lock. They proved you wrong. So no, on, to the, on to the next team. On to the next team. The Phoenix Suns. They're the second seed in the in the West right now. Contenders or pretenders? Pretenders. Oh, pretenders! <laughs> you think if the pretenders? Jazz are not contenders for me, the Suns are not contenders. I'm sorry. I like the Suns a lot. They're a lot of fun to watch. But when it comes down to it, they have to face off again. The benchmark is the two Los Angeles teams. How are they going to defend against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? How are they going to defend against LeBron and AD? I don't see it happening. They're con- they're pretenders to me. Um, you know, I've been a the Suns are kind of like the Toronto Raptors for me. I'm not really too high on them. I would probably call them pretenders just because of the strength. It has nothing to do with Chris Paul. I think the young guys still have a lot to like. They have a lot to l- learn. They have a room to groom, and you have guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre, and Michael Bridges. These are young guys who've never tasted the playoffs, so they don't know what it's like. So it's gonna. I, it's it's tough for me to say off first glance a team who's fresh, aside from Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, they're fresh with playoff experience, to say they're contenders. So I, I think I'm going to just lean towards their pretenders for me. Yeah, the Suns are pretenders. Um, they can't beat the Clippers or the Lakers in a seven-game series. Chris Paul, you're really not sure if he's going to get hurt, you know, because as, as, as the season gets, you know, deeper into the season, as we get deeper into the season, Chris Paul does t- tend to have a history of getting a little bit hobbled. So because of that, I'm not extremely sold on the Suns and – I don't think they match up with the Lakers or the Clippers and even the Jazz as of right now. So the third team, the Los Angeles Clippers, I'm, I'm going to say this. I mean, look, I, I think they definitely can be contenders, mm. but <clears throat> the Clipper team I'm seeing now are pretenders. I, I, I don't know. It's just something about the Clippers that they need a real point guard. But not only that, but I, I don't see that heart when I, when I watch the Clippers play. I don't see that type of aggressiveness with the Clippers. The Clippers are supposed to be this team that has a persona of junkyard dogs getting after it, being elite defensively, but they haven't been elite defensively. And because of that, I think to this point, the, the Clippers are pretenders. It's like, did you actually watch their uh, Clippers doc on YouTube? They actually got rid of that whole mental, like, the whole junkyard stuff. They got rid of it because it did not work for them. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say they're complete pretenders. I agree with Joel. You know, I, I love the Clippers only because I love Paul George. He's one of my favorite players. They there, there are nights where they show me that they're contenders, you know, that they can bang with anybody. They can beat any team in the league. And then there are nights where it's like they're pretenders. I want to say they're contenders if they get the best of Kawhi and Paul George. I would say no doubt in my mind they are pretenders of one of the best teams. If Paul George is not Paul George, 
they are pretenders and they will get bounced out in the second round. And that's just like, and if that bench doesn't show up here, that's how I would look at it. I think Tyron Lue has done his best job and he's done a better job than Doc Rivers already. I think he's connected. I think Marcus Morris has been good off the bench. Lou Will has adapted to his role as the point guard off the bench. But at the end of the day, you know, Serge and Zubak, they've been doing their thing. But at the end of the day, it comes to Paul George and Kawhi, mainly Paul George. I think we all could agree, aside from last year, we know Kawhi is going to show up. It has to be Paul George. If he doesn't show up, they are complete contenders. I mean, oh, wow, complete pretenders. But if Paul George does arrive and you get that two-way tandem that you thought you were going to get, they're contenders for me. See, you know, this is tough for me because I feel – What the hell? <laughs> I, 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 if the Lakers are healthy, I don't think there's a team in the West that's touching them. But because of, because of the Lakers' health issues – I would have the Clippers right there as the next highest contender. But now that I'm talking through this, and I didn't consider this when I was preparing, but now that I'm saying it out loud, if I'm giving the Clippers the benefit of the Lakers' health issue, I feel wrong not giving the Jazz that same benefit because I think the Jazz, I, I would connect the Clippers to the Jazz in a sense like, I don't have either of them on the level of a healthy Lakers team, but if the Lakers are injured going into the playoffs and AD is either not playing or on the court at like 50%, then I think the Clippers and the Jazz have just as good of a chance to make it to the finals out of the West. Like I think both of them can beat a hobble Lakers team. If the Lakers are healthy, I don't think either of them can beat them. So like I wish I could I could say like a semi contender like a lukewarm contender. And if I can do that, I'll 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 go back and retroactively say that I have the Jazz on the same level as the Clippers. So they're not a bookmark for you. The Clippers. They're kind of like Well, a, I think I think the benchmark should still be okay. the Clippers for the Jazz right now because I, I it would be So it's Lakers Clippers Jazz for you. Yeah, but it's like 2A 2B. Okay. In my opinion, like that's how that's how I think of it. I think both of those two teams have more to prove than the Lakers. The Lakers are more of a solidified yeah. contender. So the next team, the Los Angeles Lakers, I'll make this quick. They're contenders. They have LeBron James. It's not really <laughs> much to think about it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Damn, you made it so fast. Um, yeah, contender. I think they're contenders 100%. Even if AD is injured, I, I still count on LeBron. I was just, yeah, I was They'll just, have a chance I think, to make the final. Like, I think if AD is hurt, I still think LeBron is going to give Utah the fight of their life, regardless. I, I don't. I'm not like on the Jack train where it's like I don't think anybody can beat a healthy Lakers team. I think the Clippers can beat a le- healthy Lakers team, but I would bet on LeBron ten times out of ten. But I think the Clippers could do it. But yeah, I think they're the still the number one team in the West when healthy. But I think if we're talking health, you know, obviously the AD injury. But I think if they're all fully loaded and ready to go. Realistically, I have the Lakers as number one. Are the Lakers without Anthony Davis contenders? Yes. They still, yeah, they still have LeBron. Okay. I just I, LeBron. I, I would bet on the other two teams, but I think like LeBron would make it a six seven game series. Okay. I I agree. I just wanted to see what you guys thought about it. No, yeah. I just think this like the way I look at it when I'm talking about these three teams because I think they're the three teams that are going to be in the mix. Going small ball is what it was last year. The Lakers did it so well. I think the Clippers can throw out a really good small ball lineup this year with Ibaka at the five. The Lakers with AD at the five. And for the Jazz, I think that will be a tough thing to match up with because Rudy is so impactful to them. You know what's crazy? I don't know if he could be out there against a small ball that's lineup. That's not even the clip. That's why I think the Clippers, 
it really comes down to Paul George Kawhi, right? Because that's not even their small ball lineup. Their small ball lineup is Kawhi, Morris, PG. They run those three, and then they run the Pat Bev, Lou Will, or they put Batum in. And I think it's going to be weird to see because when they played the Nets twice, Batum was being picked on late in the game when they ran those small ball lineups. You know, Kyrie, Harden, and KD kind of just had fun with him. So against the Lakers with Kawhi at the five, it's going to be interesting to see if AD is obviously healthy, how that's going to play out. I'd rather see Ibaka out there. I think he can move well enough yeah, to be a part me too. of the I think that's what they got him the for. three ball and still defend the interior, which would present that problem for it's a body to put on AD. Yeah. And he can hang with Rudy Gobert. So if, if the Jazz tried to keep Rudy out there and pick on the Clippers inside, I don't think they could do that against Serge. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if it was a Morris or Batum or Kawhi at the five, it would be much more difficult for the Clippers to guard the Jazz. But now they can keep Ibaka out there at the five, have four guys around the perimeter that can shoot the basketball, run up and down the floor, and I think that would be tough having Rudy out there at the five. Or if you put him on the bench, then you're taking the second most impactful player on your team off the court. So mm-hmm. that, that, to me, is where it's tough. Okay, so these are the next batch of teams. We could just speed this up because we got to do Eastern Conference. <laughs> you guys are, like, going There's on more the teams in the West? Yes, yeah, so oh, wow. the Blazers – Portland Trailblazers, are they contenders or pretenders? Do they have any shot to make the finals? Yes. You give them a shot to make the finals. If they're healthy, I'm going off the – this is going to be a hot take. I'm going off the strength. If they are healthy, they I'm going to give them as much of a chance as I give Utah. Whoa. Yeah, if they, if they have wow. CJ, a fully – if they have CJ back, they get Nurkic back. Cantor off the bench. Melo's playing the way he's playing. Dame's playing like a superstar. We know he's going to play. Like Robert Covington's starting to get it going. I do believe that this team can definitely – I'll put them in the same boat as Utah. I think they could be a contender in this league. If it goes the right way, I think they can do it. I think they can beat the Clippers. They're not a good defensive team. They won't they, – they're not yeah. contenders. They're, they're pretenders because they are not a good defensive team. They rely on their offense, and Terry Stotts, to this point, has not shown the ability to find ways to get Dame freed up when he is double-teamed and when they start to double-team him because of that. They're pretenders. I don't think their offense matches up with the, with the other top teams in the West. And defensively, they can't match up either. So because of that, they're pretenders. Yeah, I'm also going pretenders. The defense, like you said, is not there. And personnel-wise, I don't think they match up great against any of the top three, regardless of the top, you know, let alone the top two. So I would have them pretenders. So the other team, the Spurs. I'm guessing none of us think they're going to contend. Contenders, but it's been a good, it's been a nice, good season yeah, for them. You gotta I, give I them call props them pretenders, for that. but I, yeah, give them props for what they. They are pretenders now. Next team, the Denver Nuggets. Contenders. You think they're no, contenders? Like, <laughs> they're <laughs> good season for Jokic, but they're pretenders. I'm gonna call them pretenders, but I will say, if I had to pick outside of the Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, the Nuggets would be the next team I would bump up to contender. Status. At the Suns. Over Portland, I would probably I would probably put them over both the Suns and Portland. You guys are pretty high on Portland in summer, man. This is crazy. Yeah, no, I I, I never said that Portland could compete for a championship. You called them you called them a top three seed. I thought they were going to be a top regular season team, but yeah. I never thought they could compete for a championship. I said they could make WCF. That's there. That's right there. So now the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets have a chance if they're healthy. If Michael Porter starts to get going, we've seen Jamal Murray in the playoffs. This Nuggets team can make the Western Conference Finals depending on matchup. Like right now, they're projected to face the Suns in this in the first mm-hmm. round. They can beat the Suns in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So now if you beat the Suns in the playoffs, you're the seventh seed. Who are you going to face? Do you go face the Jazz now? 
I think they go face the Jazz, if I'm not mistaken. Now, that's going to be tricky because the last Oh, no, no, no. I think they face the winner of the three and six seed. So they'd face the Clippers or something. They face the Clippers. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, if, if they both do... Te- I mean, both teams, they... They blew the three-one lead to Denver, Utah, and the Clippers. Yeah, so I think they could. They could beat the. I think the Nuggets could beat anybody in the playoffs because Joker is so phenomenal. Jamal That's Murray plays like a superstar in the playoffs. But then the next team, the Mavericks slash the Warriors. Who knows who's going to th- get that eighth spot? Warriors. They're both pretenders. I think I would consider a- anybody who takes that eighth seed. I would call a pretender. So now going on to the Eastern Conference, the number one seed in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers. Are they contenders or pretenders? They're pretenders. Uh, they have been pretenders for the past couple of years. Because Ben Simmons can't shoot, it's going to hold them back. And Doc Rivers has been known to not be that great of a coach in the playoffs. He blew a 3-1 lead in Orlando with T-Mac, blew a 3-1 lead with uh, the Lob City Clippers, with the recent Clippers. You could make an argument that he underachieved with the big three Celtics. So as a whole, I think because of – Doc Rivers, because of Ben Simmons not being not being able to shoot, the 76ers are are pretenders. Embiid is having a phenomenal year, but they won't make the NBA championship. They won't make the finals. I think the Nets have spaced themselves out as you know above the rest of the Eastern Conference. But if there was any team I was going to pick against the Nets, it would be the Sixers. I know they have the issues with Doc Rivers. They haven't proven themselves in the playoffs, but Embiid is playing at such a high level. He would create an issue for the Nets defensively. It would take a really great series out of Ben Simmons and the shooters around those two guys. I think they did a good job putting together a team this season with shooters. Tobias Harris has played much better, and they need to you know, stay at this level in the playoffs. Obviously, can they do that is a big question mark, but if I was going to bet against any team other than the Nets in the East, it, you know, the Sixers would be my next pick. Um, They kind of fall into my Clippers, take the kind of the same way. You know, if you get that monster Embiid, you get Ben Simmons, you get Tobias Harris, who's been playing good. You know, he keeps his consistency going. Seth Curry and them shooters out there. They have, they have the personnel to match up with the Nets. You know, you could throw out a Ben Simmons and a Matisse Thybulle lineup, you know, guys who can guard the big three in uh, Brooklyn. They they have the personnel, you know. They have Joel Embiid who's playing like an MVP. So I'm gonna lean more towards contenders for them. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm gonna say the way they're playing right now, I will have them as a contenders in the East. The next team, the Brooklyn Nets, they're contenders. They're gonna win the NBA championship. I, I've said it when they when they first got Harden, I said they were gonna before they traded for Harden when it was talks. I said if they get Harden, they're gonna win a championship. They got Harden. I said they're going to win then, and right now I'm saying it again. I'm doubling down on it, tripling, quadrupling, a hundredth, doubling down on this take. The Brooklyn Nets will win the NBA championship this season, and yeah, pretty much. They're contenders most definitely. They're going to sweep the floor with the East, and I think it doesn't matter who comes out the West, Brooklyn is winning it all. Contenders, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. I, I think they've really separated themselves at, at least in the Eastern Conference. Um, Obviously, when you have those three guys, the way they're playing, nobody in the league can stop that trio. And then it just seems like everything's falling into place. Joe Harris is shooting the ball at an elite level. They're getting great contributions from Jeff Jeff Green, even though he's hurt. TLC, Bruce Brown, who is showing a level that you know we never even thought we would see out of him playing 
like uh, a six four forward. It, it's ridiculous. And then now Nick Claxton coming back from injuries had two great. incredible nights, and he fills that role of the six eleven big that can defend the pick and roll and catch some lobs. So it's like everything is falling into place for this team if they can stay healthy. They are on a war path for a title. Yep. Even and I, you know how skeptical I was before the trade when the trade happened. But I told you, <laughs> I told you the day of James Harden's press conference, I trusted them to figure it out because the, the way he came in, his mentality, hearing him speak, I felt much better about it. And since then, it's been nothing from up, nothing but up from there. They are right now by far the favorites in the Eastern Conference. He's a charming guy. Now we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. They're the third seed in the Eastern Conference. Are they contenders or pretenders? The Milwaukee Bucks, in my opinion, are pretenders, and not because of their talent, but mostly because of Mike Budenholzer. I think he has really, I don't know if he's regressed as a coach or his coaching ability is showing his true colors because he has this defensive philosophy where they don't protect the three-point line that well. Like they let they'd rather help out in the paint and not give easy layups rather than give an open three. You know, I'm they'd rather give an open three than an open layup. I I just think analytically, like you probably should guard the three better. They don't guard the three so well because of that. I think they're gonna get exposed in the playoffs. They have been pretenders for the last couple of years. They have been a sixty win team for the past couple of years, and nothing has come from it. So because of that, I think they're pretenders, and Giannis to this point has yet to develop a consistent jump shot. The Bucks are pretenders. Yeah, I mean, I, I have. It's funny because the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, despite the discrepancy in talent, I think they're very similar to me. I think the Nets are the Lakers, the 76ers are the Clippers, and the Bucks to me are the Jazz, a team that I think can make it, but I think they need some things to work in their favor. Giannis still worries me in the playoffs because of that jump shot, like you mentioned. That when it when it comes down to winning time, you want the ball in your best player's hands, and you don't know if he can do that. Mike Budenholzer struggles in the playoffs, so there's a lot of concerns. I really like their personnel. I think they did a good job building a team around Giannis this year with the shooters and all of that. So I think they can, but I'm definitely skeptical, and I would put them in that semi-contender, but very much not confident. Just like I was saying about the Jazz, um, you know, like they have the personnel. They fixed. They they went out this offseason, fixed some of their problems from last playoffs. You know, Giannis was passing out to guys and they couldn't hit shots. They fixed that. They fixed the Eric Bledsoe problem by bringing in a much much better player in Drew Holiday. You know, he hasn't really figured it out, but I think he'll get it going by the playoffs. I I would definitely have them as a contender just because I think they have the personnel to beat every team in the East. I don't think they – if I had to put my money, I would put my money on the Nets, but I think they have the personnel to beat every team in the East. They are probably the only team, in my opinion, in the East that can guard the Nets' big three as best as you could. So that's why I would probably say for them as – I would have them as contenders because they also – Outside of KD, Harden, and Kyrie, they have the next best guy in the East, in Giannis. So that's I would go with them as contenders. The next team, the Boston Celtics. In my opinion, if they go out and trade for Nikola Vucevic, they're they're contenders. But because I don't know if that's going to happen, and because they've been playing mediocre this season so far, the Boston Celtics are pretenders for me so far. You know, throughout the season. 
We'll see if they trade for a more dominant player, but to this point, they're pretenders. And if they remain with this core in the playoffs, they'll be pretenders. You took the words right out of my mouth. They should go out and trade for Nick Vucevic immediately. He would make them contenders, in my opinion. Depending on what they have to give up, I'd have to see the package. But if they could do something based around Kemba, I think that would be a huge win for the Celtics. It would make them contenders. But right now, the way they're constructed, I have them as pretenders. You know, I like Boston. I think Boston, like I said with Milwaukee, they have the personnel to beat any team in the East. They just haven't been playing the way they thought they should be playing. Their bench is dreadful. Kemba Walker has been in that lineup. He hasn't been healthy. Marcus Smart has been out. The team look doesn't look the same with him. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have to figure out the can we put up these numbers and still win factor. And with that being said, I have him as a pretender. They have all the tools to be a contender. They just haven't shown us that they're that. Even with getting Vucevic, I think still the chemistry problems are gonna be there. I think depends on what they give up. I don't think they're gonna just oh, they're gonna just accept the straight up Kemba for Vucevic thing. I think they're gonna have to give up something off that bench. I don't think that's gonna be good enough because then they're gonna be without a point guard and Marcus Smart is gonna have to run the one. So I don't know about that. But right now I have him as a pretender. Next team, the New York Knicks. They're having a fantastic <laughs> season, but they're pretenders. They won't make the championship. Make they championship. Make the they, they, they won't make the finals. They they're won't the make the second team. round. A, a team that's pretenders that has had a really good season. You give them credit for it. I, you know, as as good of a job as they've done, they're pretenders. They're not coming out the first round. Next team, the Miami Heat. I, I think if, if fully healthy, they can beat any team outside of the Nets and possibly Philly. But for the most part, they're they're pretenders based off of how they've been playing this season. They're pretenders. Just continuing <laughs> with my comparisons to the West, the Heat would be my Denver Nuggets. They're pretenders, but if I had to choose one team outside of those top three, I would leapfrog them above the Celtics. The Celtics would be my sons, and the Heat would be my Nuggets. I would have the Heat right as that next team out because think- they put it all together. They scare me more than the Celtics. I think this team is probably going to shock us all and make us look like fools at this table. But I'm going to go ahead and say they're pretenders just of the way they're playing and how they're looking right now. So the next team, the Hornets and the Raptors, <laughs> just I, they're both, they won't make the finals. They're yeah, they're pretenders. <laughs> okay, so that's going to do it for our contenders or pretenders. In the comments down below or in the comments, just type in who you think are contenders and which team you think are pretenders. So just type in your, your biggest contender, the team you think is going to make the finals and win it all, and your biggest pretender. So during the segment, while we were doing it, uh, Glenn said something that caught my attention. He said he thinks the Suns could beat the Utah Jazz in a seven-game series. And I don't think that's far-fetched. I think that it's totally realistic. It could happen. I think DeAndre Ayton matches up well with uh, with Rudy Gobert, Chris Paul, Conley. I think Chris Paul wins that matchup. Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, it's really even. Uh, I think it just comes back to the playoff Mikel experience. Bridges, he's a lockup, lockdown defender. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder. Come, I think the Phoenix Suns just have a bunch of dogs, but you guys who are ready to play. Cameron they're, they're, Johnson is is good too. They're a team I, I like. Not, I would Johnson. not want to see the Suns. I don't. I think the Suns are close, man. I think they're one piece away. I just, I don't know. I can't I can't tell you what they're gonna do or what they are until I see it. They're they're a team where we've seen Utah. We've seen Utah against Oklahoma City. We've seen Utah against Rockets. We've seen Utah last year blowing a 3-1 lead. We've, like, we've seen them. We haven't seen these dogs in the playoff scenario outside of Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, so it's hard for me to assess what's going on. But I know 
we've seen Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, and he's 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 a dog in the playoffs. So it'll be a good fun matchup. I, I just I don't know about Phoenix. It's a wait and see for me. Okay, so now on to the NFL portion of the podcast. The first topic we are going to talk about is the San Francisco 49ers. Will they bounce back next season? I mean, this past season they went 6-10, and 10 and a lot of controversy behind who's going to be their quarterback. A lot of people think it should not be Jimmy G. They aren't sold on him, and we have yet to see what's going to happen yet, but what do you think about the 49ers? Do you think they're going to bounce back? We know the Rams made moves. The Cardinals made moves. Are the 49ers going to be the odd man out next season, 2021, or are they going to have a bounce-back season? No, I think they'll definitely bounce back. You know, I think with all the injuries to their defense, their elite defense, you know, missing key guys, I think that definitely hurt them. Jimmy G was missing time. Nick Bosa was one of their guys who was going to break out, missed time. So I think getting that, getting him back – with a newly refound Fred Warner, you know, you've seen him have a breakout year last year. He's turned into one of the best linebackers in the league. I don't think Jimmy G is as bad as what people think. I think he's a good quarterback, you know, and then with Brandon Ayuk, that's how you pronounce his last name, his breakout rookie year, you get him, Debo Samuels, George Kittle. It's like they have a good O-line. They get Raheem Moster, who is missing time, too. You get a team, and they have an easy schedule with them being dead last, so they their schedule is going to be easy. They're going to see the Eagles, so that's a W. They're going to see the Jets. That's a W. So I think teams like that, they're going to see the Jaguars. They're going to see those teams. So getting an easy schedule, becoming healthy. Sorry, y'all yeah, yeah, ain't that good. But getting going to be good next year. Yeah, season. I know. <laughs> getting, 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 a easy, getting an easy schedule We're with them, Zach getting healthy, I think that's going to definitely propel them. I think they have a good team regardless. So they're going to be good. I think it's they're going to bounce back. He doesn't know how good Zach Wilson is. That's really what You don't either. Problem. Yes, I do. You literally texted me yesterday and said, I don't have a full analysis on Zach Wilson. I'll let you know, though. <laughs> no, but I do think he's good from what I've seen you so far. You think rookie year, he's going to turn you guys into something. No, but I do. I, I will say this. Phil Simms had him ranked number one over Lawrence. Okay, but you didn't have him ranked at all. You didn't know what he was. No, no, no. But coming, I've been high on Zach. I've talked about Zach Wilson before. <laughs> Yo, I've been high on all right, him. All right. I, I will say this. A Jets-49ers matchup will be interesting because Salah will be game planning against his My only team. concern with Zach Wilson is durability. But outside of that, I know he could play. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see when we draft him number two. But okay, look. Last season, So wait, you guys are going to draft him? Yes, no doubt about it. Sam Donald's going. Don't mess no up. No doubt about it. Don't mess up. Wow, that's a strong take. Don't mess up. Yeah. Don't mess up. I'm telling you, Zach Wilson is going to get Jack So you're guaranteeing me right now, Zach yes. Wilson. I would be happy Lawrence with that. Lawrence will be one and Zach Wilson will be two. I'll be happy yeah. with that. Okay, so last season, the 49ers at one point had $80 million worth of players injured at one point. Their injuries last season consisted of Jimmy G, Richard Sherman, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, D. Ford, George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, Weston Richburg, the starting center, Jaquiski Tart, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Jimmy Ward, K. Mm. Williams. I mean, basically their whole roster was freaking injured. And then you look at the Fort Niners free agents this season. Trent Williams, they have to re-sign him. Sherman is gone. Tart is probably gone. Kendrick Bourne is gone. I think they bring K- back Verrett. K1 Williams is probably gone. Jason Verrett, I hope they bring him back. Akella Witherspoon, I'm on the fence about him. Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Tevin Coleman, and Jeff Wilson. So all of their starting corners are gone. So they have to bring at least some of them back. And I think they're going to draft a corner in the draft as well. They have a high pick. They can get Patrick Sertain or Caleb Fairley. They'll probably be there. But <coughs> I believe in the 49ers. 
I believe in their talent, and I believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. Boom. I, I know that I don't know why, but Jimmy Garoppolo has been the most underrated quarterback this season because he has not played. I know he left a sour taste in everybody's mouth when in the playoffs they didn't let him throw much, but the running game was going. I mean, that was a game plan. They succeeded. But because he didn't play great in the playoffs, everybody forgot about what he did in the regular season. 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, almost threw for 4,000 yards, 102 quarterback rating, 69 completion percentage. He led them to 13-3, and three, four game-winning drives and four, four fourth-quarter comebacks. Ryan Tannehill in a, with the Titans in the playoffs did not pass much either. He was much more efficient because he had a bunch of home run plays, but nobody bashes Tannehill for it. But but we're bashing Jimmy G and saying the 49ers need to move on from him. It's ridiculous. All Jimmy G does is win. He's like DJ Khaled. That's all he does. And because all he does is win. Yo, what? <laughs> and because all he does is win, the 49ers would be crazy not to give him a chance, and fans would be crazy not to think Jimmy G is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Do you guys know that Kyle Shanahan, just a year ago, said that Jimmy G can be the best quarterback to play this game? He said it. Kyle Shanahan, an offensive genius. Kyle Shanahan said that about Jimmy G. Do I believe Jimmy G will be that? I don't. But that just goes to show you that Kyle Shanahan recognizes how great Jimmy G can be. And I believe he can be it. I mean, he has a look of a franchise quarterback. He has the armor of a franchise quarterback. He has the accuracy of a franchise quarterback. He has hey, wait, wait, who are you talking he, about? He has Jimmy G. He has, a, he has the preparation of a franchise quarterback. And if they re-sign Trent Williams, this can be their this is their offense still. Jimmy G, Mostert, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Lakin Tomlinson, Weston Richburg, and Mike McGlinchey and Trent Williams. On defense, they're still going to have Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw, Kinlaw, Eric Armstead, D. Ford, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw, and Jimmy Ward. This team is still really freaking talented. And even if you believe, even if you want to knock Jimmy G and say Kyle Shanahan is it's genius behind everything, whatever, if you want to say that, my counter-argument to that is, okay, then it just goes to show you what Shanahan can do with a competent quarterback, which is why they will bounce back. Not only do I think the 49ers will bounce back, I think they are winning the NFC West because I'm telling you, Jimmy G has been hearing. He's been listening to this podcast. He's been hearing Jack say that he's not a franchise guy. He's been hearing Jack say he's not that good of a quarterback. He's been hearing everybody in the media disrespect him. And I'm telling you, Jimmy G knows. And Jimmy G is going to ball out next season and have a great year. Listen, I think you're, you're seriously overstating you know, my feelings on Jimmy G. I think he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. I think he's somewhere around 15 in the league if I had to sit down and rank him. I don't actually have them ranked, but I would have him right around the middle of the pack, like 15. Uh, I don't think he's going to lose you games, but I don't think he's going to you know, go out and win you games like you would expect from a top guy in the league. And that's perfectly fine for this offense, the way Kyle Shanahan runs things. And on top of that, it's a world's <laughs> improvement over Nick Mullins and C.J. Bethard. So CJ Bedard was actually not that bad. Just getting he was come on. <laughs> getting Jimmy Garoppolo back healthy because he played a little bit last year, but he wasn't healthy when he was out there. So he didn't look good, but it was because he was dealing with, I believe it was a high ankle sprain. Yeah. So I mean, you can't expect that messes that. up your footwork. Yeah, exactly. 
Anybody who's dealt with a high ankle sprain knows how much that yeah, sucks. Yeah, I'm dealing with one now. It hurts. Um, so I just getting <laughs> just getting Jimmy Garoppolo back is a huge improvement over what they had at quarterback last year. On top of all the other injuries you listed them, I don't need to go down the list. They are going to improve a lot. And on like the craziest thing is last season, although they finished at six and ten, I believe. They were still in a bunch of games late in the season. They were fighting. They're just a really well-coached team. They have a lot of talent, and even though a lot of it was hurt, they were still competing last year. So getting all that talent back, I think they are one of those teams that we're going to look at to turn around this year. The only question mark is that NFC West division. I th- I could see any of those four teams winning the division. He's the worst quarterback in the division. And that and that's uh, like <laughs> he's the worst. That's not, not saying he's bad though. On him. Yeah, it's not saying he's bad. It's but just I think because he's the, the division worst is so division. good. I like. I think the 49ers would be favorites in almost any division in football. But it's just the division is so good that I'm not so sure to say they're going to bounce right back and win the division. There's a lot of things that have to go right. You got to get these guys back from injury at full strength. So worst quarterback in what aspect? Wait, what <laughs> did you just ask me? Worst quarter. Worst worst. You said Jimmy G's the worst. As in, like, he's not bad, but, like, he's the, he's, Kyler Murray's better than him, in my opinion. what? A quarterback. Matthew Stafford. we're talking best looking one, it's Jimmy G. Over everybody in that division. I'm not answering that. Kyler Murray, (laughs) Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford. I'm not answering that. It's Jimmy G. I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. Somebody said you're off OPO, dog. This is the thing, this is the thing. I think Stafford and Jimmy G are close. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a gap. I really don't. I really don't. You have to stop. No, I you really, really have don't. to stop. No, I seriously don't. No, no, come on, bro. I seriously you, you, don't. You told me one time Matthew Stafford was a fringe top ten quarterback in the league. You think Jimmy G yes. is that? Yeah, yes, wow, I do. No, like I'm really high okay, on Jimmy okay. G. I'm, I'm just really making sure you, you stay consistent with what you're saying. I heard I, I'm really high on Jimmy G. And I'm gonna tell you right now, he's gonna have a breakout year next season. He's gonna prove a lot like of people. Twenty eight. Breakout year? He's, I mean, breakout year. I mean, he's gonna have, he's gonna have a great year. He's gonna have a fantastic season. The only thing that concerns me about Jimmy G is if he can stay healthy. But when we're talking about skill, mm. I know he can play. No, I he, he, he play. I think we all can agree he's and a good quarterback. No, I seriously think that between him and Stafford, Stafford has more talent by far. When we're talking about okay. this, when we're talking, right, right, when so we're talking about decision, no, okay, making, okay, we're on the same. Matthew page. Stafford right, right. is not a very great decision. I th- maker. I thought you, no, I thought you meant like they were on the same talent frame, but now I get what you're saying when you break it down. So yeah, this is what I, I think they'll have a bounce back year. You know, I don't know what's your take on it, Jack. I think you think any team in the NFC West can do it. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to have a bounce back year from the the six and ten they had six and ten year they had last year, but it's just going to be a bloodbath in that division. Oh, I the think division's going to be lit. Uh, if I like right now, if I had to rank those teams, I would probably have the Rams winning the division. I would have the 49ers at two, the Seahawks at three, and I'd have the Cardinals coming in fourth. I think the Cardinals are going to win the division. And that's year. assuming everybody stays healthy and, and all that. The, the, the 49ers got their guys back at, you know, full form. They don't take time to uh, get back to, you know, whatever. Um, the Seahawks what? will probably finish last. That division is going to be Ooh, sick. I think because they have no offensive line, and that division is filled with great pass rushers. The craziest thing is, you put the Seahawks in almost any other division in football, and they're one or two. I mean, it's crazy. You can still do the, that, and the, it can still be one. The thing two. about the Seahawks is that they win a lot of close games and a lot of nail biters. Uh, you know, it, it's hard because they they pull out those close games, but 
if one year those games mm-hmm. don't go their way, they're easily like yep. a five and eleven. Team. They're like a fifty fifty mark. And, and I sent you guys a tweet today. I forget exactly who it was from talking about supposedly what's going on behind the scenes in Seattle. Russell Wilson thinks he's a top five quarterback ever, which I think is <laughs> top ten. I, I mean, he needs no. He said he thinks he's a top five quarterback ever. And he doesn't think he's being treated as even a top ten quarterback ever. He thinks he's a top five quarterback ever. I love Russ, but he needs to take a long walk on a beach somewhere and reconsider some things because there's issues there. But the reason I bring that up, chemistry is big in the NFL, especially chemistry between a quarterback and his head coach and play caller. And if that chemistry is not there, if not everybody is you know in lockstep then there's going to be issues and you can't afford to have that friction in a division where everybody is going to be firing on all cylinders. So I think that could definitely hold the Seahawks back this year. I don't think that's crazy for Wilson to say. Top five ever. Yep, I really don't. No, what's wrong with you? I really don't. Name me five that are better. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre. Brett Favre's not better than Wilson. Nope. He's not. What are we talking though? Are we talking about like what do you put what do you, I'm stats like everything put together? Everything Peyton, put together. All right, so Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Who did I say after? Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. I think that's, that's three. three. Definite. Drew Brees. Drew Brees is not better. Joe Montana. He's not better. Okay, yeah, I'm done. Peyton Manning. As a as a, court, as a quarterback, Joe Montana, he has the range. But you had Drew Brees. If we're, if we're talking about strictly as a QB, like skill, he for says skill, he's a top five QB Wilson, all time. No, yeah, I know. If we're talking about that, Wilson is better than Montana. We are, yeah, he is better than Montana. But we're talking all the time, so everything the, is included. The only three I see that are better than Wilson that I'll put, like, skill for skill, Peyton, Rodgers, and Brady. Every, he, I think he's better than Breeze. He is better than Breeze. He's better than Breeze. He is. I can't. I Bree, Breeze in his prime. I ain't even going to say no. Breeze in his prime was, what, 2014, 2015, when they were missing, play, missing playoffs. Even with bad defenses, Russ has led the Seahawks to the playoffs. I don't know. I, I listen. I think he. What about Dan Marino? He's better than Dan Marino too. He is. I think you're just saying things. At no, this point. I mean you could check Dan Marino's playoff stats. How he did in the playoffs, he was pretty bad in the playoffs. Dan Marino, he he started his career really great, but you look at his stats and he trended down towards his career. So Here, you he, think Russell's the top five quarterback all time? I, I definitely think it's not a crazy thing to say. Like Jack was saying, go take a walk on the beach. No, it's most not people thought it say. was a crazy thing to say. He was, Jack wasn't the only guy who I found think, that crazy. I think it's not crazy to I say that. I think it's pretty th- crazy to say. My bigger issue with what's happening is he he wants more control there, but if I've, I've been led to uh, believe that the Seahawks gave him control of the offense this year, and it tanked in the second half of the season. So, I mean, you can understand why the Seahawks wouldn't want to give him control of things when in the second half of the season the offense took a major hit. I'm just saying that I think that Wilson is not is not a – I think Wilson is a debate. I mean, I, I only guys I have better than him is Mahomes, Brady, Peyton, and Rodgers. But when you talk about efficiency as well, I mean, Brett Favre was a turnover machine. I don't know why you try to act like Wilson was not better than Brett Favre. Brett Favre is literally a turnover machine. Um, he's great and all, but Brett Favre's top ten, but he's not top five. Wilson is better than Brett Favre. You said that as if Russell Wilson was top five, though. It's a debate. I think you can make. A I think debate. it's more of a debate. You, you, for can, Favre. you can make a debate. We we could have that debate another day. But the main thing that I'm getting at is if his big thing is he wants control of the offense, like he had that this season. And he didn't prove himself 
to do that good of a job. They were awesome in the first half, but the second half they really slowed down. So if his big problem is that Pete Carroll's offense is predictable, then what does Pete that Carroll's say about the, his own Pete, offense? Pete Carroll's not the OC. That, that was Brian Schoenheimer. From what I've understood is he wants more control of the offense, and he got control of the offense this past season, and it did not end well. I think it's, at the end of the season, the offense was nowhere near what it was at the beginning of the season. So, like, he had his opportunity, and it didn't work out. So, you know, why would why would they feel good putting the reins in his hands again if it just didn't work out this past season? You know I mean, what I'm saying? I think most of that most of that stuff that they didn't work out with was Brian Schoenheimer because he has a predictable offense. But I'm saying if they like Russ is saying that he wants the reins, but from what I've read, they gave him the reins to the offense this past season. I don't know like if I have that wrong. I genuinely I don't. I mean, where did you get that from? Just from what I've read online. I mean, like I was looking at a bunch of different things. Where though? That, uh, like I'm asking you, where online like articles? Like I don't know the exact source. I would have okay. to go back and get it. For I you. mean, I don't know. I, from what I've seen, I mean, from what Seahawks fans have been saying, and that's the reason why Brian Schoenheimer was let go because he didn't do a great job. And even when he was with the Jets, his play calling was very predictable. Mm. You know, so I think Russell Wilson just wants more control of the offense, which is fine. I mean, every quarterback should, every great quarterback should have that. Payne Manning had that. Tom Brady had that this season with the. Uh, with the uh, um, Buccaneers, <laughs> so you know why not? Why not? Well, because from again, from what I've read, and maybe I have it wrong, he had control of the offense this season, and they tanked in the second half. And that when the defense started to get really good, if they if the offense played if at the that, level it did at the start of the year, if with that's the way true, the defense if played that's the true, half. okay, I'll give it to you. But I for, personally, I don't believe it. But if it's true, whatever. I'm just saying that when you talk about Montana. Montana has Super Bowl rings, no doubt about it. But when you talk, when you look at their stats and just their game style, how they play, you could say Wilson is is better. You know, like you could say Wilson is better. You give Wilson, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, and the guys that Joe Montana had with that elite defense, I think he could win as well. I mean, he he won with the Legion of Boom in like his first in his rookie year, or second year in the league. So you could say he that, has but, proven you know. he he can he can win. Russell Wilson, he's one of the most efficient quarterbacks of all time. He throws a lot of touchdowns. He can run, and he doesn't turn the ball over much. He really doesn't at all. That's why to say Brett Favre is better than Wilson is freaking ridiculous. Because Brett Favre, I said, all I said was Brett Favre. That's it. I, I love, I love Brett Favre, but he's not better than Russell Wilson. He's not better than Russell. Wilson. That's just the first. Time. I love, I love Drew Brees, but Russell Wilson is just as accurate as Drew Brees. Has a better arm than Drew Brees and can run. Yeah, he can run, and Drew Brees can't run. He's a stationary quarterback, which is fine. He has great pocket presence, but Russell Wilson, I'll take him over Drew Brees. Like I would. He like Brees won the Super Bowl with the Saints. Russell Wilson won with the Seahawks. But when you look at when when you look at when Drew Brees had horrible defenses, they didn't make the playoffs. Russell Wilson has made the playoffs with horrible defenses. Like you can make that argument. Like I know, like in terms of longevity, Brees has that. But in terms of like quarterbacks in their prime, who's better? I don't think it's crazy to say Russ is top five. I think he should feel that way because it's probably true. I mean, yeah, I get it. I mean, prime. I don't know. I think when you're talking about top five all the time, though, you put everything in. I mean, if you're talking, you're talking prime for prime. You would take Russell Wilson. I mean, this is the thing, though. This thing, this is the thing where we get confused. If if you're comparing yourself to like a player, right, mm-hmm. and you're saying, "Am I better than this player?" Let's just talk about basketball. You're saying, "I'm better than this basketball player." Are you going to say? 
oh, but man, he scored a thousand points in high school. Oh, he did all this, he did all that. Or are you gonna be like, nah, I could beat him. You know what I'm saying? That's fair. Like, have you that's have fair. you ever played a guy who who was a great high school player? That's and fair. That you didn't have the accolades, but you know you're better than him. Yeah, that's yeah. I get that's so more that, of a that's personal why, that, thing, though. I know, but that's what I'm saying is I'm like, you don't have to necessarily have the accolades to be better than somebody. You know, especially when it comes to Super Bowls and stuff like that, because it's it's very much a team thing. Like Brady, I put him there because not only has Brady had the team success, but nobody is touching him. There are very few people that touch him when it comes to like personal stats and individual stats as well, which is why I put Brady up there. But Wilson, like when you look at what he can do on the football field, I think that it's not crazy to say he is top off. Now I'll give him that respect. But, but you understand why when you say something like a top five quarterback ever, you know everything gets brought up. Like everything. That, that's gets the up. first thought. I mean, that's 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 what people are going to debate: Super Bowls, All Pros, whatever that is. But I mean, at the end of the day, when you just dive into it and you say, "Okay, what can this quarterback do better than Russ? What can Russ do better?" Russ matches up with almost every quarterback to ever play this game. You know, and I think right now, yes. He's probably a top four quarterback right now, but that's because two of the top five quarterbacks of all time are playing, Mahomes and Rodgers. And then who who are you putting over? Oh, wait, so Mahomes is, is – wait, so then let me ask you. Is Mahomes the top five quarterback ever? Yes, no doubt about it. Talent-wise. Yes, no doubt. Okay, so, yeah. so Mahomes, Peyton, you said, we said Rodgers, Rodgers and Brady. Brady. So you would put Russ at five. I probably – it wouldn't be crazy to say. You know, I'd, I'd put him over Marino. I'd put him over Favre. I'd put him over Montana. Like if we're talking greatest – then we take an accolades into the conversation. But if we're but then you talking, have to say then you have to say the best. That would be if I'm saying if I'm saying I'm a better quarterback than you, that's just me saying skill for skill, I'm better than you. But yes. to say greatest, that's when everything But he said is best. Jumping. He said best. Oh, I didn't I didn't so hear Jay say that. that that's part. the thing, you know. So I yeah. think he I don't can, remember exactly what he He can match said. up with almost any quarterback when it comes to that aspect. Yeah. <clears> you know, and I think Russell Wilson wants more control because he has been feeling like he has not gotten that respect. You know, mm-hmm. he's not he hasn't won MVP when I thought he should he probably should have been closer in the race versus Lamar. He should have won it this past year. He has not won the MVP when he feels like he should have won it. You know, so he wants to have more control of the offense so he could probably make a case for himself. You know, I I just say this. I don't think it's crazy for Russ to say. You know, I know it sounds crazy because not only is not only do when when we hear athletes say that we don't like it. Because one, we think it's arrogant. You know, it, it depends. It depends on who's saying it. Yeah. If it, Mahomes were to say it, oh, we would love it. No, we would, Brady we would said throw, it. It's we like would, we would throw parades for Mahomes if he said it. But if Lamar said it, if <laughs> Russ said it, if anybody else but if anybody else but Mahomes or Brady said it, we would despise it. Even if it came from Rodgers, we would despise it. But be, that's why, because Wilson said it, it, it has gotten that attention. It has been despised. But I will say this. I will say, I want my quarterback to feel that way. I like that I Russ. Agree. I like that Russ. I like that Russ does feel that way, and he matches up with any quarterback of all time. I, it, it's his fault because the way. Well, I don't know exactly what he said, but the way the tweet was worded was he believes the, the rift between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks is happening is because Wilson believes he's a top five quarterback all time. And also believes he isn't currently viewed as a top 10 quarterback all time. He thinks Seattle is holding him back with certain decisions, personnel, slash scheme. So it wasn't best or greatest. It was left up to interpretation, which causes a situation where I'm thinking of it one way and you're looking at it a different way. But 
to bring it all back to what I was saying, the fact that they're like, this is a conversation that we're having. Whereas a week ago, if you yesterday, if you asked me if I thought Russell Wilson was going to be a Seahawk next year, I would have said, bet the deed to your house on it. Yeah. But now I'm seeing stuff like this, and it makes you think twice about it. Do I still think it'll be a Seahawk? Yeah, but there's clearly problems there that aren't going to be fixed over one conversation. Yeah, I, and could linger into the season, which we're talking about. The 49ers could result in the Seahawks struggling that in that division next year. There, there's three other great teams in that division, so the Seahawks can't afford a misstep. Yeah, I, I, I just I, like like you said. I, I think like when Tom Brady and Peyton Man, I don't know if they said it personally. But from what my understanding, I don't think they never like when you're that great, and like even when even when in basketball, when LeBron says it, people feel like a I'm different cool way. I'm cool with that though. Yeah, I I don't think like I think everybody should believe that you should. Believe, I don't think you should come out and say it. Though. It kind of disrespects people before just, you. Just my two last points. Russell Wilson currently has the second best quarterback rating in in NFL history, only behind Aaron Rodgers. And the reason why people hate when guys say that or Russell Wilson got that backlash is because. We have nostalgia. We have nostalgia to these players that we watched. You know, it's going to happen to us. I mean, 20 years or 30 years down the line when there's a new NBA player that's torching the league, they're going to say they're better than LeBron. And maybe they might be. Maybe they're not. But we're even regardless, we're going to defend it to the T because of the nostalgia that is associated with LeBron. And in football, it's like that as well. That's why Montana, you know, that era is going to be like, hell no, he's not better than Montana. Hell no, he's not better than them because the nostalgia associated with that quarterback. That, it's happening with Favre. I mean, everybody loves Brett Favre. And we remember him as a risk taker and gunslinger. We don't like to talk about that he was one of the most uh, inefficient and turnover-prone quarterbacks of all time, but that's the truth of it. You know, but and, we, we remember the nostalgia of it. And, and in his defense, he did not come out and say this. This was not a direct quote mm. from him. This is a tweet from Dov Kleiman, who I think is a pretty reputable NFL source. Um, so, like, he didn't come out and say, I'm a top five quarterback ever. I believe this, this, and this. Yeah, it was yeah. something that if he believes has it, been then, reported you know. about his inner circle. Like, I think he should believe that. Yeah, no, I, if, I, if, I think all players should have that. Yeah, if you have that in belief in you, I think like it's cool to have the belief just to come out and say it, though. It's like it just disrespects the game and who came before you and how the game has evolved. That's why I would say I wouldn't personally come out and say it. I, I would believe it. Like among my peers, I would talk about it, but I wouldn't come out and publicly, publicly say, oh, I feel like I'm a top five this, top five that, because there's just so many. Like you said, there's so many things to go into factor, like – like you said, people know Brett Favre for being a gunslinger and all that. A lot of people probably wouldn't know what you just said after, that he was inefficient and he threw a lot of turnovers if they just think of Brett Favre or what they've seen. So it's just so much to go into it that it's hard to just come out and say. Like for people like Brady and Peyton, it's kind of easy. They don't need to say it. Like you know who they are. But it's for some people like Russell Wilson, it's kind of like you got to really dig deep and to go in depth about it. Next topic we're going to talk about is – Kirk Cousins, this topic was not even on the list, but we just started to have a conversation and discussion about it. It will most certainly be a, a segment because of how long it went, though. And yeah, I think it's seriously. a good segment. Is Russell Wilson a top-five quarterback? Well, so right now, for people that are commenting, do you think Russell Wilson is a top-five oh, quarterback? They, they don't think that. They, was, <laughs> they, they don't think that. So now we're going to talk about Kirk Cousins. The Minnesota Vikings signed him after their 2017 season. And I can say to this point, they have not had much success with Kirk Cousins 
But do you believe that Kirk Cousins is unfairly blamed for the Minnesota Vikings not living up to expectations? No, I mean, it just depends. I never would have expected the Vikings to be a Super Bowl team with Kirk Cousins. If that makes like I, when I think Kirk Cousins, I don't expect him to lead a team or carry a team like I would expect a Tom Brady or a Patrick Mahomes to carry a team to a championship. And even then, like th- there's been other things around him that have happened. Like you know, this season, I know there was a lot of injuries that led to them like majorly underperforming. And when the team has been healthy, they've had successes. They've had very solid playoff runs. So I think like what it comes down to is what you expect out of Kirk Cousins. To me, I would not put him in that tier of like, oh, you add him, you're a Super Bowl contender. I think you need to build a really strong team around him. And I think when they've been able to build a strong team around him and have stayed healthy, they've went on good playoff runs. So like, I think if you are thinking they underachieve with Kirk Cousins overall in the span he's been here, I think you might have been expecting a little bit too much out of Kirk Cousins personally. I, yeah, I agree. I think people made it like people. It's it's funny with people. They think when you put a quarterback in a position or a, a player in this position and they're not as good as what you thought they would be, they should get all the blame. I've never looked at Kirk Cousins and said, this is the guy that's going to bring the Vikings to the Super Bowl. I, I, I truly believe he was probably above, like, he was in that Jimmy G category in the sense where you could, if you build a great team around you, he can probably do good things and they get to the Super Bowl if the team is clicking on all cylinders. But I never thought he was a guy that was going to sit there and do what Russell Wilson's been doing or Aaron Rodgers has been doing, you know, carrying teams to the playoffs. I never thought that was the type of guy he was. His potential was always a limit. He uh, he had a ceiling, and I never thought he was going to be the guy, regardless of who they have. And the Vikings have a great offense around him, you know, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. I just never thought – I just don't think he's the it factor. So I don't think he should be getting blamed for stuff that he just can't do or he's, like, able to do, in my opinion. Kirk Cousins so far has been a, a, a stat machine for the Minnesota Vikings. He has 12,000 yards passing for the Vikings in three seasons, 91 touchdowns, 29 interceptions, and 103.6 quarterback rating. But <laughs> I'll say this. In 2017, the Vikings went 13-3 and with Case Keenum. He had an MVP-like year that season. They went to the NFC Championship and, off the uh, Minnesota Miracle with Stephon Diggs, you know, kind of kind of lucky. But they went to the NFC Championship. That roster was Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, Jarek McKinnon, Latavius Murray, Riley Reef. Was Cook there? He was injured that year. Oh. Nick Easton, Pat Elfline, Joe Berger, and Mike Remmers. And Pat Shermer was the offense coordinator. And that season is what led the Giants to hire Pat Shermer as their head coach. Then on defense, they had Daniel Hunter, Linville Joseph, Everson Griffin, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, Trey Waynes, Xavier Rose, Harrison Smith, and Terrence Newman. They had the 10th ranked defense, I mean the 10th ranked offense and the first ranked defense that season. The very next year when Kirk Cousins got on the roster, they went 8-7-1, they missed the playoffs, and they had the same lineup on offense. The only difference was that Brian O'Neill, their rookie, was started at tackle, Mike Remmers was at guard, and Tom Compton replaced Nick Easton. But they basically they had three starters back on the offensive line. Only two were missing, but they had a new offense coordinator in John DeFilippo. John DeFilippo. John DeFilippo. <laughs> they had the 19th-ranked offense and the 9th-ranked defense that year. The defense was also the same. They added Sheldon Richardson. 
So you can see where Vikings fans would be pissed because you had virtually the same roster. You changed your quarterback in your OC, and you guys, they underperformed. You know, I think John Filippo probably is more to blame than Kirk Cousins, but then in 2019, they make the playoffs with Stefanski. They go 10-6. and six, They win a playoff game. Stefanski gets a head coaching job. He leaves, and now in 2020, they miss the playoffs. They're one of, they have one of the worst defenses in the league, and their offense was the 11th-ranked offense. It was really good because Justin Jefferson emerged, but at the end of the day, Kirk Cousins was brought into the Vikings to win a Super Bowl, and does he get unfairly blamed for the Vikings' struggles? Uh, you could say it's half and half because coming off a 13-3 and season in 2018, the Vikings should have made the playoffs. There's no excuse for them not to make the playoffs, and they missed it. That's on him. And then you look at it in his whole entire career with the Minnesota Vikings in three seasons of him playing 16, 32, 48 games, he has a total of three fourth-quarter comebacks mm. and four game-winning drives in a span of 48 games. So he's a guy that I think Vikings fans have grown accustomed to that he's going to light it up in the fourth quarter when the game virtually is out of hand. He's going to get his stats. But when they need him to play well, when they need him to do good when it matters, he doesn't get the job done. And that's why, I mean, at the time when he got signed, we knew it was kind of a bad move because – Kirk Cousins is not going to lead them there. They probably should have signed Case Keenum. But I think what, what makes it even worse about all of this is that even though Kirk Cousins has underperformed with the Vikings in terms of winning, the Vikings have not drafted his predecessor to, for when he moves on. And last year's draft would have been the perfect time to do it. I mean, before the draft last season, I was a big advocate for the Vikings to go out and draft Jalen Hurts mm. because they could have had Jalen Hurts sitting there behind Kirk Cousins, learning the offense, learning the NFL, getting accustomed to the league. And I think he would have, he would have, right when Kirk Cousins left, he could have been slotted in and been great. But because they didn't draft a quarterback, now you don't know who you're going to turn to when Kirk Cousins ultimately leaves. So you're left with one of two options. You're left with re-signing Kirk, which I know most, most Vikings fans don't want to do and you're left with having no quarterback that's good. And that's probably even worse than re-signing Kirk. So, I mean, the signing of Kirk Cousins has ultimately ultimately left this franchise stuck. And that's what I think is the biggest thing that you can blame Cousins for. But not blame Cousins for, but blame the organization for making that idiotic move. I, I think you're 100% right there. And that's my thing is like, if you want to blame Kirk Cousins for that, then go ahead you know, yeah. then then I see why you would blame Kirk Cousins for that, but it's the organization. You know, they went out and they brought in a guy who I think all three of us could agree. I never saw him as a Super Bowl quarterback, you know, unless you put a really great unit around him. So, I mean, like, it's all about the expectations. Did you really think he was going to come in and lead this team to a Super Bowl? I would have never given him a chance with a couple of the other teams that have been in the AFC the last – or in the NFC the last three years, especially being in a division with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, like it's always going to be a dogfight just to get out of that division, let alone be a Super Bowl contender. So, you know, I think it was just a, a situation where the, the expectations were way too high for Kirk Cousins. And now the problem is you have two years left on his deal. You kind of see where you're at. I don't think he's going to get any better. And I don't think he's going to lead them anywhere. 
So it's like, where do you go from here? Do you wait out his contract two years? Do you look to draft his replacement this year? But I don't know if you're going to be able to get high enough to get any of those top guys. So like, where do you go? And it sucks because now the blame is put on him for the organization mismanaging things. We're going to move on to our next topic. Ironically, the team that let Kirk Cousins walk and franchise tagged him twice, the Washington football team, they need a quarterback. They re-signed Taylor Heineke, but Alex Smith is most likely gone. He's probably going to get cut. So what? which quarterback do you think? Who will be the Washington football team's quarterback in 2021? Will they draft one? Will they sign one? Or will they trade for one? In your opinion, who do you think is going to be? Either one of you can go first. I had I had two. Like I, I, I looked it up. I did a little research, you know, did my little football research and whatnot. I had two. I, I thought... I don't think Trey Lance is going to go that low. I thought Mac Jones would have been a good guy that they just jumped out and grabbed. And I thought in the trade they can go out and, you know, I heard the Jets was taking calls with Sam Darnold. And I thought that would be a good spot for Sam Darnold to go in there. I know for the Jets, you guys, he has potential. He just has never been put in a system where he has the talent or has the proper fit. I know you guys have been complaining for a while. And I think with Justin Jefferson, you know, who's turned into a stud receiver, he's that guy for them. Adam Thielen, who's still got a lot left in the tank. You know, Dalvin Cook, who's the top three running back in this game. I think putting Sam Donald in that situation can only either tell you what he really is or inevitably understand that he's not a good quarterback in this league. And I think that's something that they should definitely look for. I think in the draft, Mac Jones would be a good guy. Or in the trade, I think they can go out and get Sam Donald because I know the Jets are answering calls for him. Yeah, if they were going to go out and make a trade at this point, I think they kind of missed out. I would have Stafford would have been the guy I really would have liked there. They missed on him. The price tag was so high, though. I can't blame him. Wentz, I thought, was another guy they kind of missed on. For that price tag, they definitely should have been out on that. Now they kind of shoehorn themselves here where as much as there was a bunch of great quarterback options, the pool is dwindling more and more every week. And I feel like the most realistic, best available option would be going out and trading for Sam Darnold at this point. Just because, like, I obviously you would want Deshaun Watson. I don't think that's a realistic option. Dak Prescott, I don't see him leaving Dallas, to be honest, right now. If he does, I think that's another guy they could look at targeting. But I think he goes back to Dallas. So if they were going to go with somebody outside of their organization this year, I think Sam Darnold would make sense. <laughs> He's shown a lot of good signs for the Jets, although probably more bad signs than anything, so it would be a big risk. Honestly, I wouldn't hate to see them give Taylor Heineke a shot. The only problem is I think with a like an established quarterback, they could have easily won that division this year and, you know, maybe made some noise in, in the playoffs potentially, but you know, he, he showed some signs in that Buccaneers game. I guess it can't hurt. I don't know how much of a worse option he would be than Sam Darnold. At this point, I mean, he's older, so that would, you know, that that would be the edge that you would give to Sam Darnold. But the options have kind of the great options that I thought they had have run out pretty quickly. Part of me, we're talking about the Reds, the football team. Yes. Part of me, I was, I was thinking, I still had the Vikings in my mind. I still got the same two QBs, but I was just, I had the Vikings in my mind. I don't know why I was saying. Part of me, yeah, I was talking about the football team. That wasn't even needed, if I'm being honest. No, because I was saying, thing, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, we're talking about the football team. I'm chirping. This is what I'm going to say. Don't trade for Sam Darnold. Why'd you just scream that, man? This is what I'm going to say, man. Sam Darnold, 
As much as I wanted him to be the franchise quarterback for the Jets, I am a Jets fan. I have a Jets hat on right now. He is not a good quarterback. He is not going to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Not even close. Uh, He's not going to be that. And the Washington football team should not trade for Sam Darnold because he's not going to do much for them. As sad as I I am to say that because I wanted him to be good, but that's the truth about Darnold. Darnold is in his third year in the NFL, and he still plays like he's in his first. He makes boneheaded mistakes. This past season, he had nine touchdowns to 11 interceptions. You might as well trade for Marcus Mariota at this point. And Mariota is not a good quarterback either. This is what I'm going to say. Out of the out of the pool of quarterbacks you can trade for, you know, Darnold, Mariota come to mind. Um, crazy, but Jordan Love, you don't know. If if the Packers don't want to move on from Aaron Rodgers, they still think he has a lot left in the tank. You could see, you could call and see, hey, do you guys, would you guys trade Jordan Love? I think Jordan Love is going to be a franchise quarterback. And Yeah, I don't think the Packers would do it. I don't that. think the Packers would do it, but this is what I'm going to say. This is a dark horse take. People are not expecting this. Duh, it's a dark horse. <laughs> the Washington football team, if they are going to trade for a quarterback, which means they don't draft Mac Jones. They don't go out and draft the Kellen Mond later in the in the draft or in the second round. They don't sign a Brissett. They don't sign a Trubisky. Cam they Newton. They don't sign a Dalton or Andy Dalton or Cam Newton or Ryan Fitzpatrick. They should trade for Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew could win in Washington. He is a game. He is a perfect game manager. But the best thing about Minshew is that he is a really efficient quarterback, and that's what I love about him the most. Do you do you think? Isn't it crazy how? All we do for Sam Donald is give him excuses, 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 excuses. What did Minshew have? Robbie Anderson, DJ Chark. Can you say they're about the same? He didn't have Robbie Anderson last year. You talked about the year before. I mean, his rookie sophomore season. Robbie Anderson and Chark, are they about the same? Yes. What was Minshew working with in Jacksonville? James Robinson. Nothing. Basically nothing. Not even before James Robinson. Leonard Fournette, who had pretty okay seasons. Minshew wasn't working with much. And still... He was a very efficient quarterback. He actually, I mean, this season, 2,000 yards. He threw for 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions Mm. to Darnold's 9 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. And Gardner Minshew, not only does, is he an efficient quarterback, he's not going to turn over the ball, he's the perfect game manager, but he just has a moxie to him. He has this type of leadership, a type of personality that, Makes players gravitate towards him. He's just a natural-born leader. He's a funny guy. His mustache makes him look like a clown. But he just has that. He just has that spark, personality spark, that will bring a light to the team. And I think he'd be the perfect option. Don't trade for Darnold, who's a lost cause. Oh. The, the only thing the only thing that Dar- that's holding Darnold's career afloat right now is the, the word that everybody loves to throw out. Potential. I think. Potential. I think you also got to look at the fact he was the youngest starting quarterback in the league last year. So it would be like essentially drafting. He's still really a young. If you can play, you can play. That's all I gotta say. You were really high on Darnold. That's crazy. How I was high on Darnold, but look, if I, look, evidence <clears throat> makes me change my mind. This is what I'm gonna say. Nobody wants to give Gardner Minshew a fair shot because he was a six round pick. That's all it is. If Minshew was a first rounder playing like this, it, oh, he was great. He's this and that. But because he was a sixth rounder, that's why he's getting he's not getting talked about as much as a Darnold as a potential trade target. 
Jacksonville's going to draft Trevor Lawrence. They don't need Minshew. You can get something. You can get a, maybe a second, third round pick for Minshew. Maybe third, fourth. Washington should go get Minshew. He would be the perfect quarterback for that team. Still on his rookie deal. And if anything, Minshew would be the perfect transitional quarterback. You've already seen that he can win games and manage games. And in Jacksonville, they were asking him to win games. So going <laughs> to Washington, totally, completely different situation. And to this point, Minshew, Darnold, Minshew has been way better than Darnold to this point in his career. Yeah, I just think I just think if you're going out and getting Darnold, you're bet you're betting more on getting a young guy that you can bring in and develop. He has shown potential, even though there has been a lot of bad. There's been at least some good. So it would be like drafting a guy that you know. It, it depends on what you see in him. I think the price tag would be a little bit high for Darnold right now because I think the Jets are thinking they can get a first or maybe a second. Um, and I think they can get that with the way the quarterback situation has played out this offseason. But let me ask you, do you think that that's what will happen or what should happen? It and if should it's, happen. If it's, be, if it's what you think should happen, what do you think will happen? What I think will happen, I mean, listen, they have not really been linked to Darnold like that. There have been, like, rumors. They have not been to, linked have been linked I haven't to seen linked to anybody. I that's the thing, and that's why I don't. I don't even know what will happen. I think everything right now is what what should happen, or guess of what could happen. I mean, everything is a guess. And if the Washington Football Team are smart, they'd go get Minshew. I mean, that's my opinion. If mm. they are smart, if they are smart in a competent franchise, which is what oh, wow. they have shown not to be, they'd Jesus. go get Minshew. But to this point, Minshew in his rookie year threw twenty one touchdowns, six interceptions, and. 91 quarterback rating. This past season, 66 com- completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 95.9 quarterback rating. He has a career six not he has a career 93 quarterback rating and a 7 and 13 record, which is not horrible. We've seen we've seen Minshew on the Jags when Foles got hurt, go 6 and 6 with the Jags, and then Foles come back and lose his job again because they weren't winning when Minshew was winning with the Jags. Give him a shot. That's all I'm saying. He can. He can. He would be a good bridge quarterback for the Washington Football Team. Am I crazy for thinking they could win the division with Taylor Heineke? You are. <laughs> Who do you think's <laughs> going to win the division? <laughs> if Dak is with the Cowboys, oh, that's Dak, a good point. Cowboys. I didn't think about that. You think? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. You don't think the Cowboys win the division with Dak? I think Washington wins it. I think that defense. It depends on what I really they do. think that well, defense well, is going to just. It depends carry on them. what they both do with quarterback. If the Cowboys bring Dak back, they should win the division. But they've been they should have been winning the division for like two three years in a row. The Cowboys should draft Mac Jones. <laughs> he might be there at that spot. Why would they do that instead of bringing back Dak? You think he's going to be better than Dak? I don't think they're bringing back Dak. Mac Jones bro. is going to be a very good quarterback. You think he's going to be better than Dak? Probably not as a rookie. What is Dak to you? Dak is a really good quarterback. What would you call him, game manager or I franchise? I think it's, he's in a fringe. So he's like the best game manager in the lowest franchise. He's, be, he's between 10 and 15 to me. He's a t- okay. he's, he's Derek Carr. I would have okay. liked, liked to have seen him finish out the season to see if he could have kept up what he was doing. They were losing. They were, they're trash, bro. We're gonna so they go were losing because of the defense. Dallas going, ain't on nothing, man. We are going to go into <laughs> our final two topics of the episode. It's been a long show, but... Vikings offseason preview. I mean, can can they be a playoff team next season? We're going to break it down right now. They had their $5 million over the cap, and that's counting Kyle Rudolph's 
released. Some roster cuts they can make to free up some cap space. Riley Reef at $11 million. Anthony Barr, $7 million. Uh, Shamar Steven, $3.75 million. And this is crazy, but Harrison Smith, if he gets cut, could save them $10 million. He's on the last year of his deal. Who knows? Maybe they extend him and backload his contract. We don't know, but let's just say they only cut Riley Reef. They can have $8 million of cap space, but then that would put a hole at their left tackle spot, at their tackle spot. So why do that? In my opinion, the Vikings should cut Anthony Barr and Shamar Steven. I think those are the two candidates that they should cut. Anthony Barr has kind of been a disappointment to this. Last season, he wasn't very good. He didn't play much either. So, you know, I wouldn't bring back Anthony Barr. That's just my opinion. I'd love to keep Harrison Smith and Riley Reef. I'd like to restructure Riley Reef's contract so he makes half of that because I'm not paying a tackle that's average $11 million a year. Yeah, and if they were to cut Anthony Barr, just talking about guys that are free agents for them right now, I think the number one target would be Anthony Harris, but I think he's going to get a payday somewhere else, so I think he'll be out of their price range, unfortunately. The one guy that I would then look at if you cut Barr would be Eric Wilson. If they keep Barr, I think they could move on from Wilson, depending on the price tag. But if you do move on from Barr, I think Wilson would be a reasonable guy to bring back. He came in and stepped up pretty well for them last year in Barr's absence. Um, Barr played two games last season. Yeah, so he, he played pretty well for them in his absence. So I think that would be a wise decision to bring him back. Outside of that, there's not much that I would bring back, just gonna especially with their money situation. That's the thing is that they these are their pending free agents. Anthony Harris, Dakota Dozier, Odenabo, and Jaleel Johnson. So I think all of these guys can go. You know, I, Anthony Harris is going to be out of their price range. Dakota Dozier is not a good player. He's not a good guard. I wouldn't bring him back. And Jaleel Johnson is one of, a, one of the bottom defensive tackles in the league. I wouldn't bring him back. Odenabo, maybe I'd bring him back. He had three and a half sacks last season. But I wouldn't mind just letting him go. They have these positions of need. Left tackle, left guard, an edge rusher, and they need a safety to replace Anthony Harris. Kirk Cousins was sacked 107 times in the last three years with the Vikings. I mean, what free agents do you think they can bring in to help out this Minnesota Vikings team with this limited cap space? I think when you was naming the positions in need, I think they still need some corners, you know, some veteran corners. I think bringing in those young guys was good, but I think you're going to need veterans to really hold it down. You said run defense. They need it, like, bad. You said offensive line. It was 26 ranked in the league, so that was bad, too. I don't think they need corners because I think – Dantzler played pretty good last season towards the end of the year. And Jeff Gladney, I think he has a lot of potential. I think bringing in one more, though, like a veteran, maybe even bringing Xavier Rhodes back. Uh, I don't know. Or drafting another one. (laughs) I'm just, I don't, they they need help. Listen, this offseason, I think an important hole for them to fill is going to be that left left guard spot. Because Dakota Dozier was terrible last year. He was one of the worst offensive linemen probably in all of football. But again, the tough thing is they're working with limited money. I mean, maybe a guy like John Feliciano. I don't know what kind of contract he's going to demand. Gabe Jackson just got is going to get cut from the Raiders. 
He's a potential target who's that a really good be a bad move. guard. Let me ask you guys I was a question. thinking Matt Filer is another guy they could like, but they, they got to figure out that guard spot because yeah, those are Sweezy, come back. Lane Taylor, Elijah Wilkinson from the Broncos, Brian Winters, DJ Fluker. There are some guys. The Vikings, we can all agree, they have talent on the roster. You know, they have a quarterback who we all can admit he's good, but he's not. They have two receivers, they have a running back. On defense, they have Daniel Hunter, Eric Kendricks. They have guys on defense. So what it sounds like to me is they need an offensive line and somebody to fill up Anthony Harris. I think right now the Vikings' priority should be offensive yeah, line. Yeah, 100%, 100% to protect her cousins. Then next in line I think would be linebackers. Eric Kendricks is older. Um, I think they need some outside linebackers and another edge rusher to complement Daniel Hunter. But for me, I mean, edge rushers, I think Henry Anderson maybe they could look at for a cheap contract. Trent Murphy, Solomon Thomas, who's a young player who you think can, Trey Hendrickson is a good uh, edge rusher for them? I think he'll cost too much. Yeah. You know? Their money situation. Yeah, that's, that's what's hard for them right Tyson now. Tyson Alualu, he's older. Uh, Jer- Jeremiah Itachu, who's an okay guy. Then at free safety, Trey Boston, Terrence Brooks, or Demarius Randall. I think Demarius Randall is a young player who maybe he has something left in the tank. But for me personally, I would love the Vikings to go out and get a guy like DJ Fluker, just a filler guard, because mm. I think they should address Lyman in the in the draft. And then on, on the edge rusher spot, I think go and get Solomon Thomas. He's 26, year, 26 years old, a former top five pick. He still has a lot of potential. And, I mean, he's been through a lot in his life that's kind of held him back from being a good player in the league. So if he can figure out in Minnesota, that would be a huge steal and a huge bargain if they were to sign him on a, on a minimal contract. Yeah, I was thinking Romeo Aquara for a lot of the same reasons, but that that's another position in need. You know, I don't think, like, I think they could be a playoff team, but it's kind of like I was saying before, in a division with Aaron Rodgers and that Packers team coming back, you know how good they're going to be. It's realistically going to be a fight for second place. I think they could be the second place team in that division, but... It, it, the money situation is tough for them. And is like, here's my other question for them this offseason. Is Kirk Cousins your guy moving forward for how long? And if not, I don't think he'll be their quarterback beyond the next two years when you start to look to replace him. Because next year's quarterback class is not supposed to be heavy. I mean, that can change. But next year's quarterback class isn't thought very highly of. You know, I, I'm not saying go out and reach for one this offseason, but he, it's got to be a thought this offseason, you know, where are we going at quarterback over the next few years? They have the 14th overall pick in the draft. And these are some guys I feel like they should target. Elijah Vera Tucker, he can play tackle, he can play guard. He's very versatile. I would like him to be, I would like him to be that pick. Maybe he falls there. There's a possibility he does. Maybe he doesn't. I would like him to be there. Christian Darisaw, he's really good. And maybe Devontae Smith, what if he falls to the 14th pick? Do they just abandon Ooh. O-line and get Dylan Jefferson and Devontae Smith with Irv Smith? And, and Dylan's Dalvin getting Cook. old, too. So so you never know. Devontae Smith, they, they have Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase over him, Kyle Pitts. So a lot of playmakers over Devontae Smith. If he's there at 14, that would be tough to pass on him. But then Jalen Phillips, or, or edge rusher, or Gregory Rosé, or I think I, I'm saying I'm pronouncing his name wrong. It's Gregory yeah. Rousseau. It's Gregory yeah. Rousseau. I don't know how to pronounce it. Gregory Rousseau is a freak of nature. I mean, he is built like a tank. I think he would be a good pick, but he's more of a potential guy. So I don't know if the Vikings want to do that. But I think most definitely Christian Darisaw and Elijah Vera Tucker, 
will probably be there at 14. And if they can get either of those guys, if Devontae Smith is not there, you get him. Yeah. Christian Derisaw will fill that tackle spot. And Elijah Vera Tucker, I mean, you can put him anywhere. He's going to thrive. I was thinking the same thing at that first pick. Elijah Vera Tucker, Darisaw, Rashawn Slater, even if neither of those two guys fall, which I think at least one of Darisaw or Vera Tucker will be there yeah. at 14. And I think offensive line has got to be the pick. You've got to sure up that left side of the line for whoever's going to be a quarterback. Then in the later rounds, Andre Sisco is safety out of Syracuse. Pat Fairmuth, who's at a Penn St- a tight end out of Penn State, who's really good. Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia, edge rusher. Wyatt Davis, an interior lineman, can play guard or center. Brevin Jordan, a tight end if they want some more tight end depth. Liam Eichenberg, Joseph Asai, and maybe Kellen Mond if he's in the second round. I mean, he might be in the second round, I think, Kellen Mond, especially after Chris, Chris Sims released his QB or rankings. <laughs> you know, I think he might be there in the second round. But this is my dream draft for the Vikings for the for the first four rounds. In the first round, Elijah Vera Tucker. In the second round, Jamin Davis, um, linebacker out of Kentucky. In the third round, Andre Sisco. And in the fourth round, Amari Rogers, wide receiver out of Clemson. I think this linebacker fills another need that the Vikings have. If they move on from Anthony Barr and Jamin Davis could be there. Um he can play the outside linebacker or the middle linebacker. He's a very versatile linebacker. Andre Sisco can replace Anthony Harris at safety and Amari Rogers get a get a slot guy to pair up with Jefferson and Dillon. And then Elijah Vera Tucker just to have an offensive lineman. I think that would be perfect. Yeah, and I like the idea of Brevin Jordan late. I wasn't thinking that way, but with releasing Rudolph, I think filling that tight end hole would be a smart idea. They still do have Irv Smith Jr. But That's a good point. They um, do need like a second tight end, though. And, and I think that they should really consider a quarterback at some point. And I don't know who it is. And I don't know. You know Jamie d- Newman. Depending, it could be Jamie Newman. How far do you think Kellen Mond falls, though? I think Kellen Mond is going to be a second rounder or, or early third. I would have said Mond. And you know I've said Mond for so many teams later on in the draft. But now I think his stock is going to start moving up. And I don't know if I would go up in the second round to take him. I think he's a, a bit more of a risk. And they have more holes to fill than quarterback right now. So I I don't know if second round I'd take him, but I think Newman later on, you know, maybe a fourth round would make more sense. But they got to think about quarterback moving forward. Yeah, I'm not high on Kellen Mond at all. So you know, I wouldn't take him that high. <laughs> but this is my dream. This is my dream depth chart for the Vikings in 2021. Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Amari Rogers, Irv Smith Jr., Elijah Vera Tucker, Rashad Hill at guard, Garrett Garrett Bradbury at center, Ezra Cleveland at the other guard spot, and Brian O'Neill at tackle. So basically, just getting Elijah Vera Tucker to have to play tackle. Um, Rashad Hill, you probably could get a better guy than that, but you know I couldn't really find one with the cap space that the Vikings have to work with. Then on defense, Solomon Thomas. Michael Pierce is going to be back. He was on COVID. He was on a, he didn't play because of COVID last it's year. A big return. That's going to be a big return. Steven Weatherly, um, they got him from the Panthers. He's an okay guy. Uh Daniil Hunter, he's coming back. Big, big return too. Jamin Davis, Eric Kendricks, um, Anthony Barr, Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, Mike Hughes, um, Harrison Smith, and Andre Sisco. That's my dream depth chart for the Vikings based on to cast weeks, they have to work. That with. could be a playoff team. I definitely think that's a team that could finish second in the, in the division. 
I don't know about you. I mean, over I the, think too. Over the Bears? Yes. I think that team could finish. I mean, I think Bears. when you have Daniil Hunter, Ooh. Solomon Thomas, who I Pierce think still has back. potential, Pierce, Stephen Weatherly is going to be okay. Jamin Davis, who can cover tight ends and running backs. Eric Kendrick, still a very good player. Anthony Barr coming off coming off injury as well. Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, second year in the league. They're going to be better. Mike Hughes, an okay guy. And Harrison Smith, we know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So they're, they're going to be good. I mean, it, if Elijah Vera Tucker comes out and is really great, this offensive line could take a huge jump because Garrett, Garrett Bradbury is good. Ezra Cleveland showed flashes in his rookie yep. year. Brian O'Neill is an okay tackle. So if Elijah Vera Tucker or Christian Darrisaw, whoever they can get, is is yeah. good off the off bat, then they'll be a good offensive line. That left side was so bad last year that anything would be a major improvement. Exactly. So that's going to do it for this Minnesota Vikings offseason preview. Hopefully they, they make it work. I mean, they have very limited cap space. We'll see who they cut. Some cut candidates are Anthony Barr, um, Riley Reef, Shamar Steven, and Harrison Smith. So we'll see what they do. Now the next team we are going to talk about, the Detroit Lions offseason preview. It's, it's a new era in Detroit. Jared Goff is their quarterback. Dan Campbell is, is a new head coach. And I'll say this, man. I love Dan Campbell as a head coach. I love his personality. I hope that he succeeds in Detroit. But I'm going to say this. It's going to be extremely difficult yeah. because he was not put in the best position. The Lions... In this draft, they don't have a bunch of draft capital. They have no cap space to work with in free agency, so it's going to be tough. Right now, the Lions are $9 million over the cap, but they are expected to, to cut Desmond Trufant. They but did already. No, they're going to do, do it when the, when the new league year starts. Oh. He would free up $6 million, which means that the Lions would still be $3 million over the cap. Nick Williams is another cut candidate. He would free $4 million. Joe Dahl, $2 million. Justin Coleman, $4 million. Danny Shelton, $4 million. Christian Jones, $4 million. Jesse James, $2. Carrion Johnson, $1. And Chase Daniel, $2. I mean, if, even if they cut all of these players, which some of them are good players that can be productive, they'd have $20 million to work with in free agency. That's if they cut Trufant, Williams, Dahl, Justin Coleman, Danny Shelton, oh Jesse gosh. James, Carrion Johnson, a backup quarterback in Chase Daniel. And you got to fill all those spots too, yes. so is it even worth it? Yeah, it's new, uh, they, new they, times in Detroit. So they have to definitely fill up enough uh, cap to have $8 million. And not only that, but you got a franchise tag or re-sign Kenny Galladay on a long-term deal. Romeo Quar is a free agent. Matt Prater, Marvin Jones is not coming back. Jamal Agnew, a very good special teams player. Deron Harmon, he's probably not going to come back. Muhammad Sanu, not going to come back. Danny Amendola, not going to come back. Everson Griffin, probably not. Um, Adrian Peterson, Daryl Roberts, and Gerard Davis, probably not. So the only the only three guy, four guys I'd say the Detroit Lions should bring back are Kenny Galladay, Okwara, Matt Prater, and Jamal Agnew. But based on their cap situation... They have to choose between Galladay and Aquara, and if it's me, I'm going Galladay all day. Oh, I'm, God, 100%. I'm not going Aquara. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think you hit on the exact same targets. The only guy I would say that I would work hard to bring back as well would be Deron Harmon. I think he would be really good for a rebuild and help that help be a backbone of that defense. But like you said, who is signing up for this? I think what's going to be definitely a rebuild in Detroit. 
Um, I think you got to throw the bag at Galladay just because I don't know that. Well, one, if you think Jared Goff is your guy, you can't leave him out on an island here in, in a hopeless season. At least give him something to work with. And two, the reason I was thinking about it, I don't think Jared Goff is their guy for the future. I think they're going to look to draft a quarterback. And if that's the case, you got to give the guy that you're going to hand the reins to something to work with when he comes in. And I think Galladay, if you can get him on like a five-year deal, would be that perfect option to keep around for whatever young quarterback you bring in. The three competent receivers they have on the roster are Tyrell Williams, who's coming off an injury. I still have belief in Tyrell Williams. I think he can be a, a pretty good impact player for the Lions. A number two receiver? Yes. Jeromino Allison, Allison is there as well. A good, okay slot guy. He played for the Packers in uh, 2019. And then Quentin Cephas, who was a rookie. So they need they do and Tockinson is a it's a receiver as well tight end they need receiver depth if you bring in Galladay that's a a really solid core of pass catchers so I'll say this when you talk about the positions of need they have a lot I mean <laughs> wide receiver right tackle uh, right guard I think Vatai he got signed as a tackle former Eagle but I think he's better at guard so if he plays right guard I don't think you have to you have to find a replacement but an edge rusher they need a Sam linebacker a cornerback, a strong safety, and a QB. You know, if we don't think golf is the answer, if they don't think golf is a long-term I think they answer, could wait on that, though. I think they could wait on QB as well. <clears throat> I, I love their coaching staff, though. Anthony Lynn, Aaron Glenn, Antoine randall I mean, they got a lot of guys who are former players who I think can turn this ship around pretty quick. They need but a slot, too. Free agent targets at edge, Henry Anderson, Tyrone Crawford, Solomon Thomas, Trent Murphy, Danico Autry, to Karis McKinley. So, in my opinion, I think the Lions should bring in a combination of young players and veterans because you don't want to just have a really young team, an immature team. You want to have a combination. So, at edge rusher for me, I'd like them to bring in Danico Autry because Danico Autry offers versatility. He played defensive tackle, but the Colts moved him to a defensive end last season, and he played really well there as well. So, I think... He'd be a perfect signing who wouldn't be too much. You look at Sam Linebacker, maybe Vic Beasley, Malik Jefferson, Samson Ebukam, Alex Anzalone, or Aaron Lynch. I think Alex Anzalone makes the most sense because of his connection with Dan Campbell. He, they were both former Saints, so I think that would make sense. But, yeah, those are just some of my targets for edge rusher and at the Sam linebacker spot. Well, uh, I, I think we we, we kind of had the same needs. I think the Lions need receiver depth, slot, and just regular. I think corners, they got a lot of young guys, and they played a lot of man-to-man last year. And Jeff, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Okuda? Jeff, Jeff Okuda. Okuda. You know, I think he, he'll bounce no, back. I know he'll bounce back. He was a rookie. I know Desmond Trufant was the worst year of his career, and Justin Coleman is not. He's probably gone anyways. Edge rusher, like you said, they need they need linebackers. And Deron Harmon, I think we all can agree they can kind of bring him back. You know, he offers that veteran leadership. But if they don't, they're going to need somebody to fill up that free safety role. So this is this is a team that needs a lot of needs with not a lot of money either. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's that's the thing. They at, just don't have the money at cornerback. Do you like? I have some targets that don't are are not going to cost a lot, but they're average players. Like cornerback, do you bring in a Buster Screen to be a slot? Oof. Terrence Mitchell or. Do you take a risk on Kevin King? I was going to say, you take a shot on a guy like Kevin King. Do you bring in Drake Kirkpatrick or Kello Witherspoon, Daryl Worley, Cameron Sutton, if that's a high-end guy? Then at strong safety, I don't think Deron Harmon is coming back, so 
A replacement could be Sean Williams from the Bengals, Bradley McDougald, oh. like Daniel Sorensen, who has some, you know, experience with winning on a winning team. Keanu Neal, Carl Joseph. I think they just yeah. need because I think they're what their goal is. Jeff Okuda is going to be their number one guy. So I think, like you said, bringing in just those average corners just to fill up the depth chart is going to be the idea because they don't have any money. So during the free agency period, my dream scenario for them is to get signed Sean Williams, Danico Autry, Alex Anzalone, and Kevin King. That's just for starters. Kevin you know, King. Just to have some depth. Then they have the seventh overall pick in the draft. They have two third rounders. I believe they don't have a sixth or seventh rounder. So they have a first, a second, two thirds, a fourth, and a fifth. So six picks in total. I'm gonna say this. Oh boy. At the at number seven, if Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase are there, you take either one of them. And, and if you can get one of those guys, you can afford to lose a guy. Yes. Oh, I've, uh, according to the Eagles source, we are dead shot on picking up Jamar Chase. Okay. So just wanted to throw that out there. So Why, I, I'll, that say, I'll say this. If Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts are not there at seven, the Lions shouldn't draft a quarterback. I think they can wait on that. You need to make this a good situation for any guy to succeed in. And right now, it's not <laughs> that. So because of that, I think that if they don't, if none of those guys are there at seven, trade out of the pick for a team that wants to draft a quarterback and draft Jeremiah Awuso Karamoa out of Notre Dame. I think he's going to be a very great pro, and I would like to see them draft him if uh, if things don't. Do you think go they should go corner if those two aren't there? Huh? Do you think they should go that route if those two aren't there, Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase? Oh, actually, you're right. If Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts are not there, the other the other guy to make an exception for is Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertain. Yeah, I think yes. corner would be the next best thing. As much as at seven, I think a quarterback would be a reach for the position they're in. The only reason I would say they should consider it, if a guy, if, if one of Wilson, Fields, or Lance is on the board, you have to at least think about Wilson it. Wilson won't be. I don't, no, I don't think Wilson will be, but I think Fields or Lance could be. And the reason I say think about it is because, like I said for the Vikings, next year is supposed to be a really weak quarterback class. I'm not sure, admittedly, about the next the next year after that, but... You know, if you don't take a quarterback here and then next year's not a good class, the year after is not a good class, you could look back and be like, that was our shot. You know why I don't say that? Because they're in cap hell right now, and Jared Goff's contract is expensive and it's going to be running for a couple of years. Even if they were to get a rookie quarterback, they still would not have the uh, necessary money to build a really great contender and maximize that rookie contract. Mm, that's fair. Which is why I think there are just so much more bigger needs on this team than quarterback. Because I think Goff, I mean, he's shown before, when surrounded with talent, he can it's be good. like a top 10 quarterback in the league. So surround him with some talent. It's going to be hard. In the second round, I think I would bring in a guy like Christian Barrymore if he's there yeah. in the second round. Aziz Ojulari, Tevin Jenkins at tackle, Jamin Davis or Jabril Cox. I think Tevin Jenkins is the guy I'd want to get in the second round, early in the second round. I think he's going to be a very good tackle in the NFL, and it would fill a need, and now you can move Vatai to the guard spot. Yeah, I think that would be a great pick for them. And I, I liked your idea if at seven they're not going to take a quarterback or, you know, they don't. I like the idea of trading back because yes, they need to refill cabinet. that, yeah. that cabinet. Um, 
and as many young guys wait, wait. on cheap deals you can bring in, you do. Are you saying trade back if Jamar Chase or Pitts aren't there? And Caleb Farley. So if if it's, if if a what if Patrick Certain is there though? Even if they Probably are there, so, I wouldn't hate a trade back. So if those four, I'm saying, so you wouldn't hate a trade back if those four aren't there for you. You say trade. I mean, one of them is going to be there. You know, I think Caleb Farley and Sertain are probably going to be there. If you can trade out of the seventh spot and go to like the ninth mm. and get draft capital for that, I would and still you say still do probably it. get one of those yeah. guys. Yeah. Okay, but if you have to trade back to like the four teens and stuff like that, like the teens, draft Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa. What if you traded back into like the four teens or fifteens? You got a guy like Mark Micah Parsons, whose stock is supposedly tanking. I but think, you know I he's think, got the talent of a top 10 I, pick. I think Jeremiah Wosu Koromo is going to be better. Really? Ooh. Yes. Wow. It I is. Think, yes. So I, I'd get him. Wow. But uh, in the third round, I'd go after a guy like Tutu Atwell if he's there, a guy who's very fast, uh, Rondell Moore out of Purdue, Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, I believe, Amon Ross St. Brown. So in the third round, I, I want to target receiver. Even if Kenny Holiday stays – I want to get receiver because Tyra Williams is a wild card. Jerome Allison is average. So you want to get that position solidified. This is my dream depth chart for uh, the Lions next season. And I said Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa because I recently saw a video that Brett Coleman put out about him. Brett Coleman is an amazing football mind, and he thinks he's the best linebacker in the class, and he showed footage, and I did my own research. He's... Very fast. He can play slot. He can guard running backs. He's a good tackler. His problem is that he's undersized for the linebacker position, but I think in this new age of football, you need guys that are versatile. Like Micah Parsons is a very good blitzer. He's not very good at covering opposing receivers or tight ends, which is why he may be a liability. And with those character issues, if you're the Lions, you're trying to build a culture. You don't want to get guys who are at risk. And I think... Michael Parsons is a risk if you're trying to build the culture. So I want high-character guys if I'm the Lions. But on the offense, I'd have Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, Kenny Galladay, Tyrell Williams, Jeromino Allison, TJ Hawkinson, Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, and Frank Ragno, uh, Vitae, and Tevin Jenkins. On defense, I have Danico Autry, Deshaun Hand, Jay Tufeli out of USC, Trey Flowers, Jamie Collins, Jelani Tavai, Alex Anzalone, and at corner, Jeff Okuda, Caleb Fairley, Kevin King, Oruwari, Tracy Walker, and Sean Williams. I mean, I think if, if if Jeff Okuda and Caleb Farley live to their potential, live up to their potential, the Lions can have one of the best or better cornerback duels in the NFL. I mean, Caleb Farley and Jeff Okuda, both top 10 picks, if they live up to what they're supposed to be, that would be an insane and great building block for that defense. Yeah, no doubt. And they need to capitalize on young talent because the money situation they're in. So having those two rookie or well, not rookie, would be rookie and sophomore corners, I think would be a good use of their short cash. Sounds like they have to the ace on the draft pretty much. Yeah, I, I think they're going to struggle next year. Yes, they're, they're gonna, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the Which I, I feel, but I, and I hope that, Dan Campbell doesn't become the scapegoat because I think he can be a good head coach. I love his energy, and I think he's a guy that players are going to love to play for. But it's just what is he going to have to work with here in his stint? This is the thing for me is that uh, I think their offense will be okay. You know, I like Anthony Lynn as an OC. I think he'll use DeAndre Swift kind of like an Austin Eckler. That'll be good for Swift. 
Kenny Galladay, if he returns, would be huge. Tyrell Williams, if healthy, he has experience with Anthony Lynn. He had an 1,000-yard receiving gear with Anthony Lynn. He'd be a good number two in receiver and deep threat. Dramano Allison, a good slot guy. And TJ Hawkinson, a former first-round pick who has a lot of potential. I mean, this offense can be good because I don't think their offensive line is horrible. Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, and Frank Ragno are really good. But Ty at guard, I like him. And then Tevin Jenkins, if he can be good at that right tackle spot, they can be a pretty okay offense. But I think that defense is going to struggle. But who knows? We'll see what happens. They have a pretty good coaching staff, so we'll see what happens there. And John Dorsey is a good guy at evaluating talent as well. It's like the Matt Patricia hangover. The after effects of Matt Patricia coming through. Hurricane, Hurricane Patricia came through and wiped out that defense. Yeah. So this is going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. A pretty long episode, almost three yeah, hours. We appreciate you guys for listening to this whole thing. We'll have the timestamp so you guys don't have to go through the entire episode. But as always, you guys can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Pick Aside Podcast. Uh, and on TikTok at Pixside Podcast, on Twitter at Pixside Pod. And if you would like to donate to us, you can at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the podcast and post it on our Instagram stories. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll see you all next time.